I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, week eight, Monday morning. Time to review all the games, Sam. Let's go. You were in much better mood than you were two weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry. Shouldn't have brought that up. No. All right, well, let's go. We had a crazy week. What an insane week of football. I feel like we say that a lot, and then I say, hey, we say that a lot, but this really was week eight. A crazy game, crazy week of football. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. I was going to start with uh, Jets-Giants, but we're not. We're not going to do that yet. Oh. you got to ease into Jets-Giants. Okay. All right. We always start in the East, so let's start. Miami 31, New England Patriots 17. Miami moves to 6-2 and two on the season, and the Patriots fall to 2-6. and six. Miami gearing up to head to Germany to take on the Kansas City Chiefs next week with uh, all of the division leaders in the AFC now sitting at 6-2, and two, including the Miami Dolphins. All of them at 6-2, and two, huh? Yes. All right. What did you think of this game? Hmm. This is um, when you talk. Yeah. Oh, no, it's all right. I can talk about it a little bit. So Tua finishes 30 of 45, 324 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Patriots got up early, got the, start, got the scoring started with a Kendrick Bourne 24-yard touchdown from Mac Jones. Remember, New England was coming off their best game of the season, taking it to the Bills at home. It was like, hey, are they going to be competitive here? But uh, Miami was just too much, man. Same thing. Tyree Kill, uh, uncoverable in spots, runs through the defense for a 42-yarder. Same thing as last week. He ran through yeah. a bracket coverage yeah. and just invalidated it by being too fast. It was kind of – I don't know if it was true bracket. I think they were playing quarters. There was just – there was no threat to that side. The safety needs to help, though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, J.C. Jackson got um, – Got torched a couple times here for New England. Um, but, yeah, Tyreek Hill continues to just be incredible. And, you know, again, New England hung tough for, uh, for a team that only has two wins. But uh, Miami took care of business at home. They're now averaging – oh, I know they had the 70-point game there. They're averaging 43.5 points a game at home in Miami. And they yeah. have a home game in Germany next week. Home game in Germany. Um, no, even, even at the start of this game, like it, it required them – 
sort of dipping into the bag a little bit to try and keep things going. I mean, they went for it on fourth and one early in the game. Uh, what looked like an RPO type of play, picked up an easy first down. Um, they had a bad interception from Tua in there as well. Otherwise, it could have been even worse. Um, but for a while, the Patriots were hanging with them, were keeping it pretty close, were uh, tied, right? Kyle Duggar seemed like he was having a great game. There must be some negatives in there as well because he made a bunch of really positive plays, and it's not being reflected in an awesome grade right now. But he had a, a really nice play on the blitz. He had a crazy hit at the goal line to stop a touchdown. Uh, like a Durham Smythe, I think it was, with the ball. Like a big tight end heading towards the goal line. You're like, oh, well, this is easy. And Duggar just nails him with a hit that stopped him dead and crumpled him at the goal line without getting in. Um, and, of course, Jalen Ramsey coming back. Jalen Ramsey does come back, and that was you know one of the pivotal points in the game. Miami's up 14-7 to just before the half, and uh, Mac Jones kind of floats one up, little um, little switch route, route, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. What? I used to say route all the time, and I've changed in recent years. And uh, Jalen just kind of floated up there. Jalen Ramsey jumps it, and uh, that put uh, – so he picks it off. So New England's going in to try to tie it before the half or at least get within four. Right. Interception by Jalen Ramsey. He brings it back, puts Miami into uh, into position for a field goal just before the half to go up 17-7. to But, yeah, Ramsey looked looked pretty good in his return. And, again, just in time for, uh, for a showdown with the Chiefs next week. Really nice instincts on that play by Jalen Ramsey. Like, I think it looks worse than it maybe was by Mac Jones. He's Jalen Ramsey is the corner in cover three. He's reading him essentially going with his guy. Oni Ramsey reads what Mac Jones is doing, peels off his guy, and comes back to the underneath throw and picks it off easily. Like, it, it wasn't good by Mac Jones, but I think it was less egregious than it looked. Jalen Ramsey, like his instincts, his ability to read the play in zone is as good as any corner in the NFL, which is why, you know, rewind to when Miami signed him. Like we were really excited about what he could do in this defense. Early returns, and by that I mean, you know, one game. One game, yeah. Uh, are good. Yeah, him with uh, with Vic Fangio in this defense, you know, could be could be a huge hit for Miami right now. Huge, you know, uplift. Hmm. Um, still just trying to wake up here, Sam. How's it going? It's average. I got a little coffee. We'll be good to go. Um, one other thing to highlight here. So in the fourth quarter, New England does get within seven. 13 play, 81-yard drive. Um, you know, they're, they're hanging tough, but I thought – Miami put together a big boy drive after that. They kept converting. Uh, so, you know, New England gets within seven, but Miami comes back with a five-plus-minute drive of their own, converted a couple key first, uh, first downs or key third downs, and then the final touchdown. It's third and one, and Miami, you know, goes into their bag, like you were saying, little trickeration. And, I mean, third and one, you have to – you know, overplay the run. Miami is already in field goal range. If they kick a field goal, the game's over pretty much. And so Miami, uh, New England sells out for the run, and Jalen Waddell is just wide open. I mean, nobody within, nobody even looked at him in the secondary. Complete busted coverage for a 31-yard touchdown to seal the deal for the Dolphins. Yeah, it was another one of those. It looked like that fourth and one play earlier in the game. It was that sort of RPO fake, and then in behind. And as you say, all of the Patriots' defenders have gone towards the run, and that's actually possibly where Kyle Duggar's not great grade is coming from is that play in addition to, you know, what other, other, what other, whatever other negatives are in his game. All right, last thing to highlight. Miami had a revolving door 
on the offensive line. Once again, they held up well, um, but they've, you know, we already know Teron Armstead has been out at left tackle, but they've, they had uh, Liam Eikenberg starting at center. He's usually playing guard. I mean, they're, they're moving people around big time shuffling by Miami. And, you know, you've highlighted that as a huge story this season for the Dolphins, that they've been able to be as prolific as they are offensively, despite those offensive line struggles. So credit Mike McDaniel, Tua, and those actual offensive linemen because, you know, they held up well against the Patriots. And it got worse in this game. Robert Hunt went down, yep. went to the medical tent. Um, so, yeah, they – I mean, what? How many, how many of the five guys they have starting right now are, like, intended starters? Not many. One, two – uh, it's it's a it's a group that wasn't amazing on paper heading into the season. It's gotten worse, um, but as you said, it's it's holding up fine. It's not being problematic. I mean, even the loss of Robert Hunt. Like, sure, there's there's one or two guys that aren't playing amazingly, but this group was absolutely not a problem in the game. In part because of you know plays like those RPOs. All right, man. Uh, so like I said, every team in the AFC that leads Dolphins, Ravens. Jaguars and Chiefs all sitting at six and two and the Dolphins head to Germany to take on the Chiefs this week so set you know set your clock get ready clock we're switching the clocks here in America next week giving you an extra hour of sleep for 9 30 eastern time 9 30 start for uh Dolphins Chiefs next week for uh for New England falling to two and six um uh, and again you know, trying to figure out what this what this season actually means for Bill Belichick, the Patriots, and where they go moving forward. We'll have more on that throughout the week. But as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Place it. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, let's go Jets-Giants. Okay. Jets win in overtime, 13-10. to 10. They move to 4-3. and three. Giants fall to 2-6. and six. The Giants looked like they had this one in hand. There was, um, for a 13-10 to 10 game, a lot of fascinating storylines. In this one, or thirteen to ten games, there, there was a point in the so Tyrod Taylor starts the game, another rib injury. We yeah. say another because that's what happened back in two thousand nineteen. Yes, 20? though it, very 20. important to to <laughs> highlight the differences in these two injuries. Yeah, yeah. So in twenty twenty, he got stabbed before the game. Yeah, by his own doctor. Right, by his own doctor. In this one, <laughs> in this one, it was just you know football injury. Yeah, yeah. large man fell on him. Yes. Hurt his ribs. Um, so Tyrod was out. He's already the backup. Tommy DeVito comes in. And at one point in the game, he led the comeback. You know, Giants take the lead under Tommy DeVito's watch. Despite 
Tommy not completing a pass. There was a point where he was 0 for 4 passing in this game, and the Giants took the lead during that time period because Tommy ran ran one in yeah. himself. Giants finished the game with minus nine passing yards. Yes. That's amazing. They should have won with minus eight. They were right. sitting there on my, at minus eight for about two I mean, quarters. They arguably should have won with minus nine. That's true. Still required a Zach Wilson like game-winning drive and probably with no seconds left. It did. So uh, minus, uh, minus eight passing yards for quite a while. They, they ran Saquon Barkley 36 times for, for buck 28. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, who we highlighted quite a bit on the pregame on the preview show, we have to highlight what he did in this actual game, Oof. destroying the poor Jets and their revolving door of centers. But the Jets turned into the story, man. That we it looked like they were done, down ten to seven. Zach Wilson takes a horrible sack on fourth down, just does not does not throw the ball up at all, and uh, he takes the sack. The Giants have a couple minutes to run out the clock and their first run Saquon Barkley cuts back picks up six but it's not the six that he picked up he could have had a first down do you think he could have had a first down he had a hole and he goes down yeah maybe he could have had at least a couple more yards the Giants were unable to get the first down they have to punt it back to the Jets and that's when uh, the Jets get back into field goal range to tie it up and get to overtime and uh, just a crazy game all around yeah i mean so dexter lawrence was ridiculous like this might be his best game ever it might be the best game a defensive tackle has had in a long time um he was absolutely unstoppable just to i mean he's gonna have like 15 pressures in a single game again remember for a guy who primarily plays nose tackle that's not supposed to happen uh Kayvon thibodeau had a big game as well he didn't have as much pressure as Dexter Lawrence, but like every time he won, it was an important play. He seemed to finish every play that he had pressure with a sack. I mean, he got an early one, it was a strip sack, right, uh, around yeah. Mackay Becton. Um, it seemed like that last sort of drive or two by Zach Wilson, he was just under constant pressure by Thibodeau. Um, yeah, like the, those two guys in particular for the Giants were just absolutely destroying the offensive line for the Jets, which, similar to Miami, wasn't great on paper heading into the year and has been banged up and is deep into the bench at this point. For the Jets? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, poor Connor McGovern. I think, I, I don't know what McGovern's injury was, but he got, I mean, Dexter Lawrence injured him with a bull rush. Hmm. I mean, he just absolutely collapsed him. I've, the, the impressive thing was everything that you had talked about, or we, we both talked about, but you really highlighted, which was him playing nose tackle. And usually when you're rushing against a center, there's a lot of guard help, and you just don't put up pass rushing numbers like that. I thought Dexter Lawrence's playoff game last year against Minnesota yeah. was one of the better games I've ever seen, where you talk about a, a, a – like when Aaron Donald takes over a game, it's like, yeah, you pressure against the guard. That's tough. That's tough to deal with. Pressure over the center is almost impossible to deal with. It is literally the pocket. You can't step up. You can't avoid it. And that's what Dexter Lawrence was doing over and over and over again. So, I, look, I know that the Giants lost, and um, but like, had they won, had they pulled it off ten to seven, we'd be saying Dexter Lawrence. This game was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, regardless of the outcome. But you know, just wanted to highlight. I, I don't think I've ever seen dominance like that. Now, look, I, like I, I know the Jets were way deep into their depth chart when it comes. It was three different centers playing right. and the whole deal. 
Um, but I've never seen domination like that from the nose tackle position like Dexter Lawrence did yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think that Vikings game was his previous high benchmark, and I think he exceeded it in this game, albeit with, you know, you can argue because the competition wasn't as good in terms of starting players going up against him. Therefore, it's, you know, it's not necessarily better. But, like, that's the level we're talking about here. He took over this game. And it felt, if you were watching it, like every single play was just Dexter Lawrence ruining it. And, you, you know, it's not like we were like – the Giants had minus nine passing yards. The Jets had some passing yards, but it's not like their passing game was, you know, cooking or anything. I mean, this was a 13-10 to 10 game, and most of the production at the end came in, like, desperation situations where, like, one element of the Wink-Martindale defense, it's not exactly comfortable in sort of – prevent situations i guess yeah you know they don't really know what to do in those kind of hey just don't give up a really big play in the middle of the field you know that's all you got to do just just that and like the wink defense is not great at that so they did give up exactly several of those plays in fact in the middle of the defense right in the final the drive to tie it and the drive to win it uh and then of course you know Brees hall ends up like making one of the biggest plays of the game on the offensive side of things so you know, Zach Wilson and the Jets, like kudos to Zach Wilson for making some plays right at the death when it didn't look like they had any shot, right? Like the game's gone, you're down. Zach Wilson has to lead an improbable comeback with only seconds on the clock. You're like, game's already done. So he came up big with a couple of big plays right at the end. Um, and he did play better than we are. Like his, whatever you think Zach Wilson's baseline is, he's probably exceeded it in the last couple of games. But it's, it's probably also important to stop short of saying he's been playing well. <laughs> he's, he's been playing better, but we're still a, still a way away from, you know, good. All right, let's highlight the end of this from the Jets' perspective. You've got 24 seconds left. They're down 10-7 to 7 at the end of regulation. And Wilson hit uh, – Zach Wilson hits Garrett Wilson for 29 yards. And then the play that puts them into field goal range to tie it up, a 28-yarder to Alan Lazard. I don't know if you saw Boomer Esiason – so, you, so they have no timeouts left. Lazard goes down right around the 15. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw Boomer Esiason questioning the, the, uh, the officials here because the center for the Jeffs, Jets set the ball. Right. Now, the umpire did come in. He ran in and to tap touch it. it. Yeah. That, I think, but I, I think that's the rule. Well, he right? has Not to that touch he has it. to set it. He just has to, like, yes. confirm. Like, the center can't run up put the ball down and snap it whenever they want, as long as the umpire confirms it. He doesn't have to physically put the ball down, I don't think. He just has to tap, confirm, yeah. touch it, and, um, and the Jets get the, get the spike with one second right. left. I mean, it was clear that, yeah, whatever the rule is, he was, he was attempting to um, you know, technically fulfill it rather than actually fulfill it. Like, they set the ball down. That's a mistake from them. You need to hand the ball to the official. Uh, so the official just like runs in, touches the ball, and then hauls ass out of the way. I'm not the best with uh, the NFL rule book. Not like our guy Ben Stockwell, who's probably DMing us right now. Let's see. Yeah, he just tapped the ball, which counts. Ben has already sent us a tweet explaining. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ben. That's why you're here. From football, I was zebras. setting him up. From football zebras, he just tapped the ball, which counts as spotting the ball as long as it's within a yard of where it should be. Yeah. So the, I mean, it was. I mean, it's good work. By everybody. I mean, it's just... Well, it's good work by the official because, like, it's a mistake from the Jets to not hand the the official the ball. Like, that's the thing now, right? Remember, the thing used to be 
you Larry Fitzgerald it, right? You make the catch, you run up to the spot, and then either give it to your center or put it down and spot it yourself, and then get back in line. Like, now the thing is, no, the official has to touch it. So your thing has got to be sprinted to the official, give him the ball so that he can spot it as fast as humanly possible. They didn't do that. They spot it themselves. Which I mean, the I think official, in this situation that was right. No, because if the official wants to be a, an asshole about it, the official is going to pick it up, reset it himself, and you just lost the game, right? You need to give that guy the ball so that he can quickly as possible thing. So the official saves him by, like, launching himself in there, tapping the ball, and, like, no, but that's But I way. think that's the protocol for the official is to tap it. That's why I, Football Zebras is saying that's all he needs to do. I so guarantee you, to the, whenever they're reviewing this, they're telling that center – Hand the ball to the official. Oh, I don't don't think spot so. it yourself. If he hands the ball to the official, the game's over. He has to run it to the official. Like, the official... No, this was the right move. No. To go get set and have the official tap it and then you go. No. And they spiked it. This is the right move by the Jets. Not at all. That's what saved the game. They end up kicking the game-tying field goal. They go to overtime, stop the Giants, of course. Um, and then it was a... Uh, Downfield pass interference against Adoree Jackson that put the Jets into field goal range. Classic underthrown defensive pass interference prayer. Disgusting. <laughs> On third and five from midfield, Jets move to four and three. Giants fall to two and six. The battle of New York slash New Jersey, and uh, you're you're somewhat interested in seeing if Aaron Rodgers is actually going to come back this year. I mean, I'm just thankful the Jets are keeping it alive as a possibility. Like. Yeah. Did you see the video of him? So last week there was I'm, the. I don't want to respond to video until you tell me what the baseline is. When you tell me six weeks removed from surgery, a guy's like in a wheelchair or can barely walk, and I see Aaron Rodgers, you know, moving around throwing, I'm impressed. I don't know what what's the baseline six weeks out of Achilles surgery. Last week, people were getting all excited uh, that Rodgers was throwing. Right, that was the thing. Who, and if who, you watched getting, him, who was getting excited? Everybody. Everybody except you. Or doctors. Everybody except you was getting excited that Aaron Rodgers was Because they don't throwing. know the baseline. And then this week, but, but last week, he was literally just standing there throwing the football. Like, he was basically not even putting weight on the, the leg. Uh, but he was throwing on a field, so it was exciting to everybody except Steve. Uh, this week, the, he was actually, like, dropping back. Now, he's not obviously putting, like, 100% force through it, but he's like, there's NFL footwork happening when he's throwing the ball even in just the space of a week that's a pretty significant leap forward and you've gone from okay he can stand still and throw a football to he's like bouncing around on that achilles at this point i don't know what the baseline is either but that seems quite impressive all right let's just be impressed not knowing anything Mm -hmm. that's like saying uh the football team scored 20 points today i'm really impressed by that not knowing that that's like below average who knows i mean it's not but okay it is. Uh, the field Four goal average. to win it, by the way, looked like it missed. He just snuck in, and they like really slightly bobbled the snap. I like, root for ties because I, I root for ties because they're funny, and then against ties because I hate the standings. Hate looking at those. I standings. also hate those games going the distance in overtime. It's like more work. I've seen enough of this. Get on with it. No, I could watch Jets Giants all day. Um, credit the Jets defense, obviously, too. But, yeah, Tommy DeVito, you know, he's playing NFL QB. And Minus nine yards. Huh? Maybe maybe he's not ready. We'll say. I mean, there's a lot of backups playing NFL QB yesterday. There was. It was a wild, a wild week. All right, let's move on. Jacksonville Jaguars, they move to 6-2 and because that's what first-place teams do in the AFC, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 20 20- to 10 we got a rain game we got a rain game alert we need some 
weather game alerts. Um, Jags, Jags moved the ball quite a bit in this game. Felt like they, they had the ball for the majority of it. I don't know the exact time of possession. Don't always check that stat, Sam. Mm. But the Jags had the ball quite a bit. The Steelers' defense did keep them in it, though. Forcing fumbles. Trevor Lawrence had a bad red zone interception. Steelers yeah. going bend but don't break. Hanging tough. But uh, Trevor Lawrence hits Travis Etienne with a 56-yard touchdown to go up two scores. Uh, that was too much for the Steelers to come back from. Uh, we got Kenny Pickett getting injured. We'll talk about that particular play. Mitchell Trubisky had to come in, tried to lead the comeback attempt, and it did not work. So Jags 20, Steelers 10. Yeah, what on earth was that red zone interception by Trevor Lawrence? I don't know. It was so bad that Charles Davis was asking, was he trying to throw it away? Was he trying to throw it away? Like, it was into and triple coverage. No yeah. yeah, it was into triple coverage. Like clear, obvious triple coverage in the end zone. And he's like, he, his initial reaction was, was he trying to throw that ball away? And then when he saw the replay, he's like, no, I don't think, I mean, I think he just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he just tried to get it out of bounds and didn't have the arm for it. I think for whatever reason, he lofted it into triple coverage and it was punished by what should happen when you do that. Bizarrely terrible interception. Um, Deontay Johnson, what a day for him. So completely hoses his quarterback early with drop passes then there's some kind of weird miscommunication slash he got cut off uh which should have resulted in a like a pick six from kenny pickett only the db drops it just stone-handed drop uh and then after the game deontay johnson comes out and basically says the officials were corrupt and wanted Jacksonville to win, so presumably has cost himself like five figures worth of fines for saying that. Just bad day at the office for Deontay Johnson. I'm always curious what the um, why the officials want certain teams to win. Big Mark, you know. I mean, this was a terrible game for the officials. Oh, I'm not saying it was good. I'm just, you know, do you think – like from on high, it's like, hey, make sure big no, like, the Jaguars yeah. win. Make sure the Jags get to right. uh, the, the explanation is clearly incompetence rather than corruption. But this is the type of game that drives people insane because not just it was bad, but it was inconsistent bad and it tended to favor one team. Like I think the, the inconsistent part is the is the challenge. Yes. Right. That's go ahead. Even within even within like similar directly contrasting plays like. There is a bad roughing the passer call against Pittsburgh, as in they called them for roughing the passer on a play where it really shouldn't have been. And then there's a play where Kenny Pickett gets hurt in a literally like teaching tape textbook version of the thing you're not allowed to do anymore, which is drive the quarterback into the turf. Uh, Adam Gotsis gets hold of him after the ball's gone, but not like egregiously late, but literally like two, two arms around him, full wrap, drives him shoulder first into the turf. And then, like, right at the end, right, after, literally after the Pickett's shoulder has already made contact with the ground and presumably exploded, Gotts is like, lift a hand up as if to be like, nope, didn't touch him. You're like, anyway, that one, not roughing the passer. The one before, way infinitely less bad, roughing the passer. Both of them went against Pittsburgh, and one of them cost them their quarterback. The, the one that stood out to me later... Uh, we'll talk about later was Rashawn Gary like Rashawn Gary put a knee down to to make sure that he didn't drop his weight on the quarterback and they called that one roughing later so that's the that's the challenge I think that's the struggle with the NFL officiating 
so at PFF, because we, we have a subjective objective grading system, right? Subjective in that we come up with this rubric of this is a plus one, this is what a 0.5 looks like. And objective as in, okay, we have those baselines that we are striving for. Uh, we do a lot of that, right? Like, so right now, all of our graders are going through the film and they're like, hey, you know, this might be a plus one. Is this a 0.5 or is this a minus 0.5 versus zero? And because there's a lot of gray area type of plays, right? And so we debate them. And a lot of times we'll go back and say, okay, this guy's throwing a 15-yard deep out. It feels like a one. It could be a 0.5. We're going to come to a final conclusion on that. But a lot of times, like, we'll go through the archives and say, what have we given similar plays in the past? And I think that's where fans struggle is when they're watching multiple games or they're just, you know, watching a season of NFL football and they're doing that A-B analysis in their head. And they're saying, I just saw this roughing that was not called and I just see this one that is called and they're either the same or like you said more egregious less egregious and you're getting the opposite that's where people struggle and that's the challenge with anything that is super subjective is you need to kind of like pull from the archive and say all sim we want all similar plays to be called the same as much as possible and when you see that inconsistency that's where fans struggle with it that's that's challenging whatever about you know doing it trying to keep game-to-game -game consistent or even the same crew across different games consistent. I don't understand, A, how it happens, and B, how you fix it, that, like, within the same game, the same guy looking at the same picture comes to completely different conclusions. Like, that, that's a problem with officiating. Um, I think it's challenging to get, like, this crew calling it exactly the same way as that crew in a different game at the same time. I think it's probably also a challenge to get this crew calling it the same across different games. But how they can get it so wrong across the same game when they're looking at exactly the same or the same picture or even like slightly different pictures and get it backwards like the wrong way, that's an inexcusable flaw of officiating. Like that is bad officiating and something should happen you know, with that. Like, do you see the Jalen Warren seemed to get fined 50 grand for picking up a blitz? Well, in fact, uh, JJ Watt tweeted about it. Like, because... What did he do? He literally picked up a blitz. And, like, when he went in to make the block, he, like, lowered his head to brace for the linebacker running at him full speed. And apparently that's a 50 grand fine now. For lowering your head? Yeah. And because... so. Because for it's a fifty grand fine because he's got previous because he's previously been fined for lowering his head when he was running up the sideline and a dude was coming in to like knock him out of bounds and he like lowered his head that way to brace for contact. So in two different plays this season, he has lowered his head to essentially absorb contact and on each occasion has been fined a fortune for it. Like that's madness. But the point is, guy who's not being paid a lot of money is getting paid is getting fined big five figures for like playing football and over here we've got the officials egregiously missing calls and nothing will happen maybe they'll be reassigned to a slightly less important game or whatever but like there's no consequence for that that's a problem in nfl officiating i mean are, i don't know what even punishing officials does I mean, what does punishing players do? If we've decided this makes is a thing... Makes them get another fine later in the year, apparently. Right. If, if we've decided this is a thing that impacts behavior, fining or punishing, then it should apply to officials as well as players. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. Um, it's just a, it's a, tough, 
It's a tough sport, man. I, I do like this year. It seems like they're talking to New York a lot more, and they're they're they've been more subtle about it. I don't Which know is a you, bad thing, by the way. The subtlety, like that, should be. I know you. I know you've been saying it should be fully transparent. I don't care. I want them to get it right. I don't care that they're talking. I want them to talk to New York more. I want them to save coaches' challenges on uh, when it's a terrible missed call, whatever it might be. Um, uh, one thing, a couple things to highlight in this game. Jags defense again plays extremely well. I know you got the the rain game and everything, but it's uh, it's been a trend this entire season that the Jags are making life difficult for opposing offenses. Their run defense. The stats have been great. The grades are going to be outstanding in this game. Devin Lloyd, second-year linebacker, is playing really well. Folo Fadakasi in the run game, looking good. Um, they were outstanding, the mm-hmm. Jacks. And their defense, again, just they contest every pass. Like they are they are making uh, every completion just a challenge. Other than, you know, George Pickens catches a slant, splits the defense. He, you know, he got his, almost made another ridiculous spectacular catch just ended up landing out of bounds i mean it's every single week that one didn't count though um but yeah the jags defense deserves a ton of credit yep no it was, it was fantastic darius williams playing incredibly well at corner um they i was interested that kenny pickett two gloves pickett kept the gloves on in the rain yeah what the hell kind of i've never encountered a set of football gloves that are even viable in wet conditions that's been new over the last 10 years or so i think the the rain glove games. Yeah. Now, most receivers will take them off. That's the thing. You'll see it as soon as it gets yeah. wet. You will see if it, you will see receivers get rid of the gloves because it's actually worse than trying to catch the ball with just your bare hands. Yeah. But so I was curious, like Kenny Pickett with his, you know, dinky little hands. Well, it's raining now. Are you going to stick with the two gloves thing? Because now you just two, two slippery hands trying to grip the ball. And yet he stays with it. And it didn't seem to affect him. That's why I appreciate you, Sam. You ask the, the hard-hitting the questions. difficult questions. Yeah. Not nobody's going to answer it. Yeah. But. The questions Pittsburgh media is afraid to ask. Hmm. Right? Why don't you get your guy Pony on that? I'll talk to Pony. Yeah. We'll get that going. Get the answers. But the Pittsburgh's media, they're, they're too busy writing hit pieces against PFF. They're not asking the right questions. Right. Kenny, what kind of gloves are you, you rocking what in kind the of glo- how does his How do his gloves function in the wet? Um, so Pickett has a, a rib injury. And uh, multiple ribs, even. Yeah, on account of being driven in the ground by a dude. Yeah. And uh, for the well, not uh, two times in three weeks now, a starting quarterback gets injured on Sunday, has to come back on Thursday night. So we had Trevor Lawrence injure his knee a couple weeks ago. He did come back to play the Saints the following Thursday. Pittsburgh has to come back and play the Titans next, uh, just this Thursday. So something to keep an eye on. We might get Will Levis and uh, Mitchell Trubisky. This Thursday night, mm. if uh, if Pickett can't go, uh, like I said, Jags move to six and two, first place in the AFC South. I think the biggest lead for any division leader as well in the NFL. Uh, let's go, Philadelphia Eagles thirty-eight, Washington Commanders thirty-one. Eagles move to seven and one. Commanders now three and five on the season. There's rumors of the Commanders maybe trading Montez Sweat. Uh, Chase Young, uh, the rumors have been around Chase Young, but I think Montez Sweat more likely to potentially go at the deadline tomorrow. But Eagles moving to 7-1 after the Commanders gave them a good game again for the second time in a few weeks here. But um, look, the Eagles, every single week, you don't know how necessarily they're going to do it, but it was another A.J. Brown game where he was just unbelievable. One-handed catch, 
for a touchdown, another contested catch for a touchdown. There was a busted coverage in there for, to give Devontae Smith a long touchdown. Uh, but the Eagles with an explosive passing attack in this one. Yeah, no, the Eagles, I mean, A.J. Brown was ridiculous again. Like, he was spectacular, period. That's one of the best catches of the season, that one-hander in the end zone. Um, it actually, it looks more impressive on the replay. Like, it's so, he makes it look so routine that the sort of initial TV view of it, it's like, oh, that's really impressive, but it's not, you know, out of this world. And then you see it on replay, how he actually catches it. It's like, that is genuinely one of the best catches of the season and will remain one of the best catches of the season for the duration of the season. It's that impressive. Uh, I also wonder, after the first game, why would you allow Emmanuel Forbes to at any point cover A.J. Brown in the second game? Like, he was so abused in that game that it basically got him benched, and he's back playing some snaps in this game. And now, not many, you know? They've learned that lesson. But, like, in the snaps where he has to go onto the field, if you allow him to cover A.J. Brown, that's negligent coaching. That's bad. Like, you are setting a player up to fail. Emmanuel Forbes may end up being a good NFL player, but, like, you have a dude who's maybe 180 pounds maximum, and he's going up against A.J. Brown, who is, what, 225 pounds. Like, he's outweighed by 45, 50 pounds and A.J. Brown is cooking everybody else. Like, that's just – that's bad, negligent coaching. It really is. Like the sec- Yeah, so the second not- touchdown. Whatever about yeah. the first game, right? Like, you don't know how it's going to go until you see how it goes. Having seen the first game, if you allow him to at any point be covering A.J. Brown, that's on you, not him. So the second touchdown was the – you know, pretty much a straight jump ball against Forbes, who was in good position Yeah, at the time of the release – and had safety help. Right. And um, couldn't really tell if A.J. Brown interfered with him, whatever, but he just outmuscled him. But this is the thing. Being in good position doesn't mean anything if you're outweighed by 50 pounds and the dude can just, like, swat you aside. Like, that's the point. And that, by the way, is what you should have learned the first game. Yeah, the weight issue seemed to, uh, to come up. And it might not be against most receivers, but against, a- like, A.J. Brown... You know, I, I've been using the DK Metcalf example every time those guys come into the NFL, right? At some point, at 170 pounds or whatever, you're going to have to cover D, DK Metcalf. How does that go? Well, A.J. Brown, it's the same concept, right? And in game one, you saw how it was going to go. I'm staggered that they actually put him in that position again in the second game. Crazy to me that A.J. Brown and DK Metcalf are on the same college team. Yeah. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson being on the same college team. That's actually... It's nuts in hindsight. Um, so, yeah, Jalen Hurts ends up with four passing touchdowns, and it's another game where it, you know, they, they've had games where they ran all over the opposition. This game, they didn't necessarily do that. But when they need big plays in the passing game, they have those weapons. I mean, it, it just when you watch A.J. Brown and I would say Tyreek Hill, the, their, their impact is just immense. Like, I'm not saying they should win MVP or anything, but if you if, – if quarterbacks weren't as valuable as they are, you would just think these guys are the game changers on this team. It takes a quarterback to throw the ball as well, nothing against Tua or Jalen Hurts, but Tua and Jalen Hurts, their production has been through the roof since A.J. Brown and Tyree Kill joined their respective teams, and they keep going, right? Um, A.J. Brown, as I've said before, they, there'll be some games where he just doesn't get a ton of targets, but it's not like the offense scores nine points when that happens. It's because 
the Eagles have other weapons and, you know, A.J. Brown can be a decoy. But, man, he has been just unbelievable because he can win at the catch point the way he is or after the catch doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, Brown deserves a ton of credit for that. On the other side, you know, for the, this is the second game. Like, if you just watched Sam Howell against the Eagles, you'd be like, man, this is the dude. This is the guy. Finishes 39 of 52 for 397, four touchdowns, and only sacked once. It was a strip sack. He did fumble it. Um, had a, an intentional grounding in there as well. But it was like a different Sam Howell, again, against the Eagles, getting rid of the ball quickly, fastest time to throw of his entire career in this game. And I know the commander's lost, and it's probably uncomfortable saying, yeah, we're going to drop back 52 times plus with this guy that keeps getting sacked. But this was a good Sam Howell game to keep them close. It, it, but weirdly, I've said before, like their best offense is that. It's when they literally do just put the ball in his hands and say, look, we're going to run, like hurry up. We're going to run quick game. You're just going to drop back, read the thing, and fire. Like that is their best offense. And usually it's been – uh, in situations where they're like down and in a hole and they don't have another choice and they've just kind of stumbled into that. But early in this game, like Sam Howell started off seven for seven, I think. Um, and it was all quick game stuff. Like it was screens, it was quick passes. They were just getting the ball out of his hands fast. And he's really good at that. Um, like his numbers in this game are going to end up being insane. And and he was kind of screwed at times by his own receivers. Like. Yeah. It was a, the fourth and eight play right at the end. Terry McLaurin. I mean, okay, it's it's a low pass. It's not the best ball location in the world, but it's one of those where at the point it hits Terry McLaurin's hands, he should catch it. Yes, Sam Howell made it more difficult than it should have been, but, you know, it's fourth and eight. The quarterback got it to the receiver, and the receiver is Terry McLaurin. At that point, you're expecting it to be a first down, and it wasn't. And that's, you know, Washington is down seven points trying to keep a drive alive in midfield and potentially, you know, keep get back to being a, a tie game. Like, how played well and I think got a little bit unlucky. Yeah, I, that was after – they were down two scores. You know, Eagles started to pull away, but Commanders came back, Howell hits. So that was what happened in the first game, right? It, you know, Commanders were lurking, lurking, Eagles pull away. But in the first game, the Commanders tied it up, went to overtime – in this game, they couldn't get that, couldn't get to overtime necessarily, but a great pass by Sam Howell to Jamison Crowder mm-hmm. for a touchdown. And then, um, again, you know, they just, you know, fall short by, by a score. But this was, you know, 2.48 average time to throw, by far the fastest of Sam Howell's career after we've been blaming him for his record-setting sack pace while also trying to explain, okay, when he doesn't get sacked, he's been a pretty good quarterback. You don't usually get both of those things. Um, but this game, you know, just, just showed what the Washington offense is capable of when he gets rid of the ball quickly, on time, and is more decisive. Even if, like, I don't, like you, you mentioned, like his ball location, it's not like that's perfect all the time right. or whatever, but just getting rid of the ball and giving guys chances to make plays and avoiding those five or six. We're talking five or six negative plays that have shown up every week. Game changer for Washington. I don't know how much it matters. Like we said earlier, they're three and five, maybe sellers at the deadline here. But in this week to week, is Sam Howell the future for Washington? This was, you know, moving back in the right direction for him. This is a weird. So, like somebody tweeted during the game, like what the hell happens to Philadelphia when they play Washington? Um, because Washington seems to have been unusually good at 
causing problems for the Eagles. And honestly, this was a game that kind of got away from them. Like, early in the game, an elite play by Cameron Curl to force a fumble. He, like, whilst tackling a guy. So he's bringing, bringing him to the ground with a good tackle and on the way down, like, rips the ball out and, and causes a fumble. Um, get, so, and Washington recovers there. So that's a, a full turnover, essentially, caused by Cameron Curl. They stopped the tush push. And didn't just stop it, but forced a fumble, forced a fumble on it. Um, and then right at the death, Philadelphia finally broke out the wrinkle off the tush push, which I'd been waiting for for a while. We were calling for that. Yeah, they didn't. I was calling for that. You said I said I was calling for it. You said, no, they don't need it. Well, they don't need it. but They, they did. They, they used did a anyway. brotherly sweep. A brotherly sweep? Yes. That's okay. what it was. Okay. They pulled out the brotherly sweep. They set up for brotherly shove. Yeah. And they ran the sweep to DeAndre Swift. Yeah, one of the one of the pushers, uh, right cheek push, right cheek push is his designation. Ends up getting the the sort of sweep handoff instead, and takes like, it in for a walk in touchdown. It's like tossing it to right shark <laughs> from the uh, Super Bowl yeah. halftime show. Um, Eagles move to seven and one. Uh, they play the Cowboys. I've been waiting to set this up for a while. The Eagles schedule next week. By the way, the schedule is pretty tasty. It Not is. just this game, but across the board. There's a lot of good games. I might be, uh, yeah. The Eagles schedule coming up. Ready for this? Yes. Cowboys, then a bye. Then they're at the Chiefs, home against the Bills, home against the 49ers, and then at Dallas. Five straight weeks. All against, uh, I was going to say all against first place teams, but the Niners are no longer in first place in the NFC West. But that's a run. And then at Seattle. Okay, sorry. I don't mean to diminish the first place Seattle Seahawks, but five out of their next six are against first place teams, and the only one that's not a first place team is the 49ers, who three weeks ago we thought was the best team in the NFL. Mm. So that's the stretch here for the seven and one Eagles, and um, it's one of those where if you go four and two, you're probably feeling pretty good just on paper right now, and uh, it's going to be a little stretch of fun football here. Yeah, I mean we've we've reached that interesting point of the season where you know the first few weeks is, is sort of it's like figuring out where teams are, like, just sort of almost adjusting the standings coming into the year. Like, everyone starts zero and zero, right? And then five weeks in, some teams are exactly where we expected them to be, you know, five and one or whatever. And other teams have dug themselves a hole and, and all that. So, you know, like the Bengals handicap themselves now heading into the important part of their schedule. And now it's like, right, you have very little margin for error now heading into this really important part of the schedule. But that doesn't mean you're not still one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, so I think this is just this really interesting stretch of the season where it doesn't mean teams weren't who we thought they were, but what they've done so far has sort of changed the, the situation that they have just heading into the, these games. Yeah, I mean, who, who are the pretenders? Who are the contenders? We're more than halfway, just about halfway through the NFL season. But DraftKings Sportsbook still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October, which includes tonight, little Raiders at the Lions, Monday Night Football. You can get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So download the app now and use code PFF. That's how you do it. Code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code 
PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in aunt. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football. Terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions. Terms and responsible gaming resources. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. God bless good people at Boot Hill Resort and Casino. Yeah, man. I mean, got to do it. We uh, we haven't had like a a mid-season update on bets yet, but we have had somebody looking to cash out their bet for a loss rather than suffer the bigger loss. Somebody, One person cashed out. Mm-hmm. Somebody who, would, who had put $200 worth of coffee on the line was willing to settle their bets now for just $100 we'll loss take, of hey, We'll take it. We'll take the 100 And we did, in fact. Yeah. Um, it's not here yet, but it's on the way. Because one of his bets was Kirk Cousins for MVP, I believe. Yeah. And that was before the before Achilles. Before the injury. I was actually so it was a sitting good time there. to cash out. Let's talk, let's talk Vikings 24, Packers 10. Um, so, again, when we say bets, that's, that's our listeners mm-hmm. before the season. Kind of put, you know, put their money where their mouth is and say, you know, we, we've got to take. We want you guys to uh, – we're going to challenge the PFF NFL podcast on this because we think this thing's going to happen. And one of those things was the Kirk Cousins MVP – and in last week, he said, "I'm going to cash out. I'll just I'll I'll pay a hundred instead of two hundred dollars worth of coffee, right? Because I don't think this is going to happen." And I'm sitting there in the middle of this Packers game, being like, "Maybe it could still happen." Cousins was playing that well, and unfortunately, um, despite the win here for Minnesota, somber mood for the Vikings coming out of this game because Kirk Cousins' Achilles injury. He will be out for the season. He has been so durable since starting his first game like this will be the first game that he's missed to injury yeah for a guy who's you know 215 pounds like small yes and small and has typically been behind a pretty bad offensive line yes he also i mean he plays tough man um i think a lot of people have come around on cousins as a quarterback over the last couple of years you know slowly but surely and then you have this season kevin o'connell even said after the game he's like i'm just torn up because Guy's playing the best football of his career. He's in the middle of his best season. Without Justin Jefferson for the last couple of weeks. Like, he's been he's playing. passed that test. He's been yes. playing better, yeah, without Justin Jefferson in the lineup. I don't think there's any cause or effect there. I think he's just stepped up and has been delivering the ball to Jordan Addison or K.J. Osborne or T.J. Hawkinson instead of Jefferson. And, yeah, has been playing spectacularly the last couple of weeks and was playing spectacularly in this game. And then, dude's Achilles just pops. Yeah, so the Vikings moved to 4-4. Four and four. They win 24-10 to 10 against the Packers. There's a couple things to unpack in this game, but going back to the, to the whole Cousins thing, playing the best football of his career, um, I thought last year you know, maybe wasn't his best 
overall football, but it was the most he's ever won, right? He's, you know, and, and he's part of the reason why the Vikings are 4-4 four and four now, and they're, only, they're technically only a game and a half behind the Lions right now prior to this game. Like, they're, they're about to make a run, yeah. right? Minnesota. With after, their schedule as well. Yes, along with their schedule and with a wide open, you know, four through seven seeds mm. in the NFC. They had a playoff spot. Yeah. On, like, that was a realistic target for them was a wild card spot yes. this year. So um, I think a lot of people feel for Kirk Cousins and what transpired there because he is balling out. Uh, doing it in difficult circumstances. Even in this game, it's like I almost felt like he's just waiting. Like he he's waiting for plays to uncover. He doesn't care that pressure's coming. He's going to make the throw anyway. Um, and he did a great job uh, schematically. I thought you know what they're doing with Jordan Addison and kind of evolving his all-around game. You know they're throwing screens to him and he was putting Jair Alexander in a blender a couple times. He was outstanding. Yeah, Addison. Addison looks really good. I mean, he does. the only... I mean, there's a couple of passes you should have come down with as that's well. That's the thing. So yeah. that the only flaw in this game at the moment has been like a little bit of what, you, what can be interpreted as lack of strength at the catch point, but might just be a few plays that... Like, if you hit, you know, A.J. Brown in the right way at the catch point, you're going to knock the ball out, yeah. right? It's just that when it, come, when it happens to a guy who's 175 pounds, it's easy to go, well, I've seen two or three of those... Therefore, that's the size and strength showing up, right? Whereas it might actually just be he's had two or three plays where he's been like the hit has come at the wrong time. So there were two plays in this game where the ball was in his hands and a hit came and knocked it out, right? Now, the first one, it was an illegal hit. And um, like they, so they get the penalty instead. And then the second one was that Cousins finds him in the end zone, fits it in between like three different players. Addison catches it and then the ball or the hit comes in and knocks it out. Might be a thing, right? Might be Addison is a little bit weak at the catch point, that's, and that's something he's work on. Or it might simply be he's had like two or three of those plays that were a bit unlucky. The second one, it wasn't triple coverage, but because Cousins was kind of taking a hit, he couldn't put as much velocity on it. I mean, Addison got hit by three guys at the same time. Yeah, but like, but my point simply being, if that if AJ Brown is Addison in that situation, and the ball hits his hands the way it hit Addison's. You would expect A.J. Brown to score a touchdown and come up with the ball. Yeah. Whereas because it's Addison and he's 50 pounds lighter, the ball comes out. Well, not because. It's Addison. He's 50 pounds lighter than A.J. Brown and the ball comes out. So you automatically assume the problem is a strength thing. Whereas it might simply be the ball. Like you hit the ball in the right way. And what the ball if it's Addison out. versus Forbes? Then what do you do? Um, <laughs> the, the thing when you watch... Addison play and I think the thing you liked around draft time to put Addison as your top wide receiver the subtleties that he has just as a route runner not just getting open but he is QB friendly in the way he runs his routes you know how you know we all grew up playing Madden and everything and you see a you see the the play the play diagram it's like this guy's going to run an out and the out always has like this exact 90 to 90 degree you know turn right but the reality is a lot of times the receiver has to work back. It's not really 90, it's, you know, 80 or, you know, 75, right? You actually have to work back a little bit. Not like a true comeback, but you have to be working back toward the quarterback on a lot of routes. Digs are the same thing, in-cuts and everything. I feel like Addison is just really QB friendly with a lot of those things. It's kind of the opposite of, um, you know, Mahomes was questioning Marquez Valdez-Scantling yesterday on a pass and Quentin Johnston on a pass with the Chargers, where you just you just don't have that feel for shortening the pass, attacking the ball properly. I feel like Addison does all of those things 
very well. And now you see him, you know, beating press against Jerry Alexander, moving around to the slot and on the outside. And um, just really impressed with what Addison's done over these last couple weeks for the Vikings and in showing that he could fill in for Justin Jefferson. You know, that was when T. Higgins did that last year for Jamar Chase, you said, okay, that's a legit one-two punch there. And that's encouraging for the Vikings for when just Justin Jefferson comes back that Addison has that ability. He's looked great. Yeah, he's he's looked fantastic the last couple of weeks. Even, I mean, remember last week he makes a bad play to start the game. Costs Kirk Cousins an interception, essentially. And then yes. Cousins kept going back to him. And Addison showed why. Because he's a great route runner. He's great after the catch. Literally the only question mark you have at this point is strength at the catch point, which may or may not be a thing. It might simply be he's been unfortunate with a couple of plays that have been knocked out. But that's it. Like everything else he's good at. All right, let's talk a little bit from the Packers angle, and I want to circle back to what the Vikings do, like what, what the Cousins injury means without spending too much time on it. We at least have to touch on that. From a Green Bay perspective, their, their offense is just in shambles. They look young. There's, there's mistakes from multiple people. You know, not necessarily on the same play. It's, it goes back to that, like somebody screwing up every time. Yeah. The longest gain that the Packers had was a busted RPO. Jordan Love pulls the ball. He's looking for a receiver to throw to, and everybody's blocking. And he ends up early in the game just throwing a heave to uh, Jaden Reed, who catches it for 34 yards. The 34-yard busted RPO was the best play by the Packers offense yesterday. So having some problems there, right? It's either a drop or, or Love's missing a throw or there's miscommunications. The young offense just looks young. Yeah, it's it is the same story, and I've been I sound like a broken record because this has been my take for weeks now. But it's because it's not changing. Um, they just keep making mistakes, and as you said, it's not the same people every time. But somebody is making a mistake on a regular basis, and they're not good enough to overcome that volume of mistakes. I mean, on this game, Wicks drops a ball at the five yard line. Right, could uh, probably a touchdown um, instead. It's an incomplete pass. I mean, Jaden Reed has the ball in his hands, and Josh Metellus rips it away and ends up being a turnover instead of being a, a completed catch. So, like, somebody is just making some form of error fairly regularly in this game. And for a quarterback like Jordan Love, I mean, even if he ends up becoming, I think, a very good quarterback, he's probably not going to be a particularly efficient quarterback. So you're always going to be working behind the eight ball in terms of, like, I don't have that many plays to give away, right? If somebody else is making a mistake, I'm already making more than most people, right? I'm yep. leaving a couple of plays on the table here. So if you're adding to that, and then you're adding to that, and then the offensive line is adding to that, now we just have way too many mistakes for this to be a functional, efficient offense. And that's literally been the story for this team all the way through the season is I don't think it's necessarily a terminal problem like going forward but they need to clean those up like they cannot survive playing or with the volume of errors that they have as a unit on the offensive side that they've had this season I wanted to highlight that interception by Josh Metellus great great play great play uh fun design by Minnesota too they crowd the line of scrimmage double a gap look they're all up against the line and they drop back into an inverted Tampa two with Metellus running the seam and he makes that great play on the interception. And this is exactly what we talked about heading into the game, right? Which is yeah. you don't know what this defense is going to be doing. Right. They are showing you looks that don't make any sense. 
I mean, in particular with those three safeties that are lining up all over the place. And, you know, that was a great play by him. Cameron Bynum's made some fantastic plays this season. Harrison Smith has made some great plays. Like, that trio is a problem for opposing uh, opposing offenses and opposing quarterbacks. We, we were intrigued by that coming into the season, right? Minnesota's lot, they lost guys like Eric Kendricks and some bigger name type of players, replacing them with guys they inv- they've invested in, with Cameron Bynum over the last couple of years that they've invested in, and Metellus, who they said, you know, they're unheralded later round draft picks, and they're going to be our guys, and they're they're playing pretty well. Like Brian Flores, I think is doing an amazing job with this group. And by the way, like the the personnel is still not great, and I think there's also room for it to get better. Like rookie corner Mackay Blackman, I'm still pretty convinced is one of their best three corners, and is not on the field yet. He had a big best game two, yesterday. to be honest. Yep. Like, and yet because they're playing with this generally this system that has. Um, it's sort of like base personnel in a bunch of areas, but then very not in other areas. Like they're using three safeties rather than three corners. So Mackay Blackman's actually not getting on the field most of the time. But I, I'm, I'm not sure I can be convinced that he's a worse option than Caleb Evans or even Byron Murphy at this point. He should probably be one of their two starting corners. If they make that switch at some point in the season, like the defense could get even better. All right, real quick on uh, Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, one Mike Florio suggested maybe a trade for a former baseball player. Yeah. You know, take a take a big swing before the uh, trading deadline. That baseball player would be Kyler Murray, by the way. Not me. Kyler no, Murray. You would be a, not a good option. For well, that. I've retired. I'm retired. Oh, that, no, yeah. that's why. Yes. Um, but Kyler Murray is not, presumably. And so the suggestion from Mike, not like inside information, just, you know, <laughs> let's just throw this out there. <laughs> Um, that maybe, you know, Kyler Murray is Minnesota. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, the guy that Jets fans wanted to trade for is Kirk Cousins because Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Kirk Cousins tears his Achilles. We go from should the Vikings be punting on the rest of their season because they're 0-3, trade Kirk Cousins. Now they're 4-4 looking to maybe do damage in the playoffs. They lose Cousins. Jaron Hall's the backup right now as a rookie late-round pick from BYU, should Minnesota consider a trading deadline with just Jacoby Brissett? Like, should they be considering something here at the deadline just to stay competitive? Yeah, like, this is... There's going to be some fascinating conversations happening within that building now, you know, today. Yeah. And on exactly this, like, what the hell do we do? Because, so, Kirk Cousins was probably going to leave at the end of the season anyway like they they for once had decided we're not extending his deal again we're going to let him play out this final year of his contract signaling presumably that they're going to move in a different direction um so consequently he's not tied down right like his injury is probably signaling the end of his vikings career although because he's been injured and it's a severe one at his age i actually think in a funny way it increases the chances he goes back to minnesota because he's, I, I think it probably hurts whatever contract he can get this offseason at his age, given an Achilles, et cetera. So he's not going to get like a monster, you know, blow, blow you out of the water deal from New England or San Francisco or the Jets or whoever. I actually think the chances of him going back to Minnesota this year have gone up with that injury. Um, but it means he's out of the picture. They don't really have a viable backup like, Jaron Hall, the rookie, is the guy that came in. Um, 
once Cousins goes down, I don't think you want to be playing him for the rest of the year. Now, I, number one, I don't think he necessarily has a future there. Number two, I, I just doubt he's good enough for you to win games. If you yeah, expect, I don't think he's right. – I don't think Jaron Hall's ready. If you want to win games this year. So the question becomes, well, do we see a legitimate future quarterback available, i.e. Kyler Murray, right? Like you have to be debating – is Kyler Murray the guy we want as quarterback for the next like five years? I haven't if you're even making looked that at move. the cap situation right. and the whole, and that would I, be pretty rough. I, so, I'm not gonna. I don't want to put too much credence to Mike Florio, you know, dropping right. a hail mary on Twitter. Right. But if you're like contemplating something like that to save the season, it's it's not about saving the season. It's about like, hey, is Kyler Murray, Murray actually the quarterback for the next for five the future. years? Future. Right. right. Exactly. Which is a wild thing to be deciding. On Monday, October the thirtieth, right. midway through a you season, have a day to figure right. it out. Le- yeah, less maybe. Like let somebody, guys, go away into that meeting room over there and come up with that answer in the next three hours, if you could. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so that that's fairly wild. Alternatively, you're like, who's available right now? That's just a better option than Jaron Hall for the next, you know, eight weeks or whatever. And that isn't the easiest thing in the world. There's, I mean, there will be people, but. You know, midway through the season, you're not oh, you're not swimming in great quarterback options. Teddy Bridgewater's in Detroit. They and then, to and then you have that like the other existential concept, which we were talking about when Justin Jefferson went down. Like, do you even care about winning games this season anymore? Sure, it looked like actually you were well positioned to maybe go chase that wild card spot, but is this actually a uh, a, a you know a a, a gift? Um, in terms of giving you the option to stink for the rest of the year. Like, now you have an excuse. You can actually be terrible for the rest of the year, and nobody will blame you for it because you just lost your quarterback to an Achilles. Is this a rare opportunity to sort of tank in, in, open, you know, in the open and just go get a, as high a draft pick as you can for a good quarterback in the offseason? Yeah, I think there's a lot more I think we need to break down on the whole Kirk Cousins, Vikings, their their future, the the short term for Minnesota. But as of right now, they're four and four. Uh, Green Bay falls to two and five, and it's uh, it's looking rough. Yeah, for the and that's another right question, now. by the way, where like this is probably one of those ones where your opinion might not even matter. This is an ownership thing, right? Like true, you need to present to the Wilfs. Option A, we suck the rest of this year, but this is a really nice quarterback class and we might actually have a shot at a really good one, which we don't ever get because we're too good. Option B, we try and win some games and maybe sneak into the wild card spot and then Jacoby Brissett gets wrecked by 60 points against, you know, Philly in the divisional round. Like, I would go for this one, but you as owner have different interests. But the third option is, by the way, as we said earlier, Kirk Cousins playing the best football of his career year two in Kevin O'Connell's system, and you know you have Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson locked up, I mean, the best option for Minnesota might be like two more years of Kirk Cousins if he'll take it, and you might be more likely to get there now because of the injury. Can you imagine if the Vikings end up coming out of this year just just to re-up with Kirk Cousins again? How amazing would that be? Like, but I don't know if it's the worst Coming move. into this year, it's like they finally put a stop date on the Kirk Cousins thing. Whatever happens, we now know at least they're going in a different direction. And then he pops his Achilles, and then 2024, but I don't know guess who's starter the, again. I don't know if they were definitely going in a different direction at the end of this year either. Because okay. they could have brought him back for another two or three years if they don't have the right draft pick and all that. So, All right, let's talk some rookie 
quarterbacks here. We got the Carolina Panthers get their first win, 15 to 13, over the Houston Texans. Was it the uh, 08 Lions? And uh, which year of the Browns? Who popped the champagne here for uh, winless teams? Uh, I don't 17 Browns? Which year. 17 Browns and the 08 Lions popping that champagne. The Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackson. Yeah. Uh, so Panthers get their first win, 15 to 13. Bryce Young, probably with his best game as a pro. Bryce Young. Slight, slightly bigger than baby steps in this slightly one. Slightly bigger than baby yeah. steps. Does he outduel the number out-duel. two overall pick? Outdueled CJ Stroud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought both quarterbacks were actually reasonably solid in this game, but that's a bigger outlier for Bryce Young than it is for CJ Stroud, who's looked pretty solid all the way through the year. Uh, yeah, Bryce Young made some good plays in this game. And yeah. you got to see some of his playmaking. Yeah, so that's why that's why I keep saying like if you watch the film like it's getting a little bit better every week. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to say it in different ways. And I think they're there getting has been improvement. Yeah, in Bryce Young on a weekly basis. I think their confidence in him is growing a little bit as well. Like I know they were, you know, the reports were they're all in on Bryce Young. They love the guy, but like they weren't calling a game like that. You know, they were yeah. calling a game like they had a guy they needed to protect and didn't really trust to do things. Whereas in this game, it's like fourth and goal. And they spread it out and empty. And then, okay, they motion a guy back into the backfield. But, like, they spread it out and say, in shotgun, Bryce Young, go find a receiver. And, okay, they couldn't fit the ball in, turnover on downs. But, like, multiple plays in this game, they set it up to basically say, Bryce Young, go make a play. And on a few occasions, he did. Yeah, he broke free from a sack, made a big pass down the field. I don't know if it was great ball location, but it gets caught. I mean, just the... The natural playmaking for Bryce Young, I thought, came out more in this game than it had for the previous yeah, a lot of like, seven weeks. You got to see a lot of his ability improvising yes. and, and making like the, the play to set up that fourth and goal where they didn't get it was um, Jalen Petrie just runs right the hell over the running back. I don't I forget which one it was trying to pick that up, but he actually picked it up well in terms of read it, got in front of the guy, squared him up. Mr. And then Block. Petrie just ran him over, yeah. like just right over the top like a speed bump. Um, Bryce Young gets out of that, finds Adam Thielen, sets up that goal line stand. Later in the game as well, there's a, a holding call on Bradley <coughs> Bozeman. It's now first and goal from the 15, which is not a great spot. Bryce Young gets most of it back like the very next play, scrambling out of the pocket, finding Adam Thielen across the middle, I think, again. And then that, t- that series ends up in a touchdown. Like, he was able to dig himself out of some ugly situations in a way that hadn't been the case earlier in the year. And one of Bryce Young's better throws gets dropped on a you know 33-yarder down the field after he scrambled out, hits DJ Chark in the hand. So it was it was much better from Bryce Young' perspective. Yep. Um, Low-scoring game as we know is 15 to 13. Uh, Carolina was up 12 to seven. The uh, Texans come back. QB sneak by Stroud. Good sneak. Good solid sneak for the one-yard touchdown. Uh, Texans went up 13-12. to 12. This was uh, in the third quarter. They had a nice long drive. But they go for two. Frankie Louvu drops off, knocks down the two-point conversion. So we're sitting here at 13-12 to 12 for a while until the Panthers lead the fourth-quarter comeback with, with Bryce Young. He had that fourth-quarter comeback opportunity, gets Eddie Pinero in position for the game winner which included a fun little uh, Tavier Thomas jumping off sides, back-to-back plays. Three times. He did it on the one that went through as well. He was the third one, too, yeah. So that was, I mean, you talk about officials, right? So Thomas jumps off sides, 
as the Panthers were in, like they were going to kick the right. Field he's essentially likely. yeah. Carolina have put themselves in a position where, like, they're going to score. So there's no downside to jumping offside, to try and time the snap to block it, right? Because if you if you're offside, okay, you just reset and do it again. You can essentially just keep doing it until you either get lucky or they kick the field goal anyway, and then it felt, doesn't matter. It felt like their way of icing him and just kind of messing with I think with it was him. just like there's no downside to this, yeah, right? Yeah, try like, to jump it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's win-win. If I, if I somehow time it perfectly, I can block it, and that's the only way we can save the outcome of this game. And if I get it wrong, all I've done is make them reset it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, how long has that been a penalty, by the way? Like to deliver, So they called him after the second one, they gave him an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for deliberately jumping offside twice to try and block them. How long has that I, been a penalty? That might be a couple. So it might be the one from a couple of years ago. Remember the Titans and Vrabel were yeah. doing things like that? Where there's a point in the end of the game where it's second and one, and you're better off, and, and you're trying to, you need to, you can't allow a first down. And you you give the the uh, the offense the first down because you just okay now we've got one set of downs we have to stop them or the game's over you deliberately jump off sides, but I think there was that plus the um, the punt deal when teams kept trying to jump off sides on punts to stop the clock or whatever I don't know what it was but I think it was something recent. Then I found it funny that he jumped so because again for the so third because one. he jumps again, it becomes a dead ball foul. So he jumps a second time. The field goal goes through, but they blow the play dead. The play is supposed to be blown dead. So the second field goal didn't count, so they had to do it a third time. And he jumped off that's what's, the third one. That's what's crazy about it is you, like, it wasn't a free play. So the first one gets blocked the, or was missed. The second one is good, but because it was the second offside in a row, it wasn't a free play. It was blown dead theoretically, even though we saw the ball go through the uprights. So the t- Panthers had to try it again, but it was a chip shot by that time. Right. And he jumped a third time. And by that time, what do you do? Like, you just kick him out of the league <laughs> if you jump off sides three times in a row? I mean, technically, it's probably a disqualification, isn't We're going to start cracking second, down on our second, uh, Our second unsportsmanlike penalty. That's, that's kicked out of the game. I think our, game. our special teams graders, though, should be kind there I, and yeah. say he's, I mean, just, I, I, he's I, just taking a shot. I don't think those are all. Yeah, I mean, up, up, up until I knew yeah. that that was an unsportsmanlike penalty, I was like, that's a smart thing to be doing. Yeah. Keep jumping off. There's no downside here. Um, did you see the play where they gave Tankdale an end around and he oh, hit no. like every move in the world in the space of about a second and a half? It was like a Zay Flowers play. He hit like all of the buttons on Madden <laughs> at once and did this like spin, juke, like twirl thing at, at a different speed than other humans work at. It only got him like eight yards or whatever, but it looked amazing when he did it. Yeah, you always pull out the best plays in the analysis. Um, so, Panthers 15. 15- 15 to 13 win. By the way, Bryce Young was also sacked six times, two others that were negated. I mean, he was under heat. Jonathan Grenard, unbelievable game for the Houston Texans. Iki Ikuanu continues to struggle third year offensive tackle. He's been rough this yeah, year. He has been really rough in pass protection. I mean, even coming out of NC State, he was going to be better in the run game, we thought. Yeah. Um, but you'd think he was going to progress a little bit more than he has from a pass pro standpoint. Uh, Panthers were pretty solid, other than that. In pass protection, but yeah, Jonathan Renard had a game for the Texans. Just wanted to highlight that. Uh, so Panthers moved to one and six. Texans three and four. And let's move. Speaking of rookie quarterbacks, 
Tennessee Titans, 28. Oh, baby. Atlanta Falcons, 4-4. Four and four. Should I say the Houston Oilers? 1-0 here. I can't believe there's controversy over, like, who should own that. Me neither. It is the Titans. It is their history. The Houston Texans have zero history as the Oilers. It is the Titans. The former Oilers. They were the Tennessee Oilers for two years. They're the yeah. Oilers. Look at that look. Will Levis in his NFL first start, in his NFL debut, 19 of 29 for 238 yards and four touchdowns. Three of those touchdowns went to DeAndre Hopkins, who finishes with just four catches, but three just, scores for 128. Just four catches. Just four catches. Yeah. Um, on the other side, Desmond Ritter benched. Not for performance. Or injured. Uh, well, just for, uh, we needed a relief pitcher. Arthur Smith claims it was not for, for performance. Having said that, Arthur Smith appears to just the things that he says bear no real no, no resemblance to reality. So it's difficult to determine if that's true or not. Either way, he wasn't playing for the second half of the game. Taylor Heineke was. Desmond Ritter was sacked on five of nineteen dropbacks. Maybe it was for safety purposes. <laughs> Protected Finish, from himself. Finishes eight of twelve for seventy-one yards. It was. Yeah, you know, when guys get sacked a ton, I try to go through those plays. There was two or three coverage sacks, a couple that the offensive line got got wrecked, a couple that you know Ritter probably could have avoided. But um, bad fumble, trying to step up. Bad fumble. A... It was great. I mean, it was really a great play by Jeffrey Simmons reaching in to strip it. But yeah, he turnovers mm-hmm. again for for Desmond Ritter. He's thrown the ball better in yeah. recent weeks. It's been like a it's been a Sam Howell-ish situation where Ritter's thrown the ball better, mm. but he's putting the ball on the turf, fumbles. And um, either way, Ritter didn't finish the game. Taylor Heineke did. Um, let's just discuss Let's discuss Levis, though. Played quite well. And Taylor the Heineke, by the way. Yeah. Who's that? Oh, Heineke? Yeah. Yeah, you've been calling for Heineke. I mean, I'm just, I've been saying it's likely to happen at some point this season, and it happened. And now, like, he, he played well enough that if it was for performance reasons and you happen to be lying to the media, you're going to be thinking about it this week. Like, it was, you know, sometimes you make those moves. It's like, oh, we've got to, we've got to make this change just to see. And then you see it and you're like, okay, that's not going to work either. Let's go back to the first plan. I mean, if you were thinking about it and this was the outcome, you're still thinking about it. I mean, he- I think Heineke, well, let's not talk about Levis. I think Heineke is going to give you your still, he's going to give you a, uh, Heineke level of volatility. But I think you know, just like Terry McLaurin had opportunities to make plays every single week mm-hmm. with Taylor Heineke, I think your Drake Londons and Kyle Pitts are going to have opportunities to make plays with Taylor Heineke. You have to deal with, he's going to throw the ball to the defense. Right, but the thing, the weird thing about his sort of final season starting is that those he that part of his game kind of disappeared. It stopped being like Fitzpatrick type YOLO Heineke and it was actually you're still throwing the ball to the defense but you're no longer throwing the ball to our receivers as well like now you've just become a bad quarterback and that's not good so we have to get rid of you but like but if that can, could be a deal to, that could be something too yeah but if you can get back to that where he's just YOLOing it and we've got some good and some bad now we can have some fun because we've got some awesome playmakers here um, to me the story of Will Levis's game now listen Marcus Mariota also had four touchdowns in his first start for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. I was impressed by Levis. I also think this was this was New Hopkins in this game. More huh. than anything. I mean, so look, I think I'll let you I'll let you have your say in a second here. Levis played well. First touchdown, throws it up. I mean, 
Nuke's not even Nuke's not open whatsoever. And if he was open, this ball was like five yards inside of where he would normally catch it, except he just decided to throw A.J. Terrell out of the way and went and caught it for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other one, you know, a couple of the other ones were good. But, look, Tennessee, Tennessee did a nice job with Will Levis. 15 out of 33, 33 dropbacks were play action. Another five screens, six total screens, one had both. So 20 out of 33 dropbacks for Will Levis had either a play action or was a screen or both. And I, I, when, I, when you think about what young quarterbacks need, it's that type of breakdown. So it's like, all right, we're going to – play action isn't a complete cheat code, but it opens things up. The screen, that's kind of like a mental break. Hey, let, you know, let the, your playmakers do the work. And then you just have to play football for 10 to 15 plays, right? Go find the open receiver. And, I, you know, I thought Tennessee did a really nice job. New Hopkins was outstanding. And then Will Levis did a really nice job taking chances. Like his first deep ball was ridiculous. It was broken up. But it was like ridiculous – uh, arm strength and accuracy to even get it there. Will Levis is at least he's pushing the ball down the field in this game and letting New New Hopkins do his thing. And I think to me, other than just the throw for throw stuff, I thought that was the best thing about Will Levis was giving his you know Heineke and his uh, playmakers giving them chances to make plays down the field. I love that. Yeah. Uh... So go ahead, explain why you thought the Panthers should have gotten DeAndre Hopkins. And maybe they still should. I've been making the point since the offseason that Carolina should trade for DeAndre Hopkins uh, because DeAndre Hopkins can help a rookie quarterback in a way that was demonstrated, could not have been demonstrated better than this game, right? This game is effectively, in a nutshell, why I've been making the case that Carolina should have signed him in the offseason and should trade for him now um, because he scored three touchdowns and in all three of those plays were an example of how he can help a rookie quarterback and each one was different. It was fascinating. It was literally like a textbook step-by-step example of what I'm talking about. So number one is the play you've been talking about, which is, hey, Nukes one-on-one on the outside, I don't need to read anything further now. I'm just going to put the ball in the air. And it doesn't really matter where I put it, right? And if you watch where that ball lands, it's not put in a particularly good place. No. It's inside towards where the cornerback would have been. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a bad throw, right? But it's New Hopkins. So he just grabs A.J. Terrell, tosses him out of the way, and goes and catches a touchdown, right? And Terrell's fairly legitimately going, what the hell, officials? But they don't tend to call those plays. So Will Levis ends up starting his game with a great touchdown, right? And now we're all like, wow, look at that bomb from Levis. He's, he's on a tear. And I'm sure Levis internally is feeling great. I put a ball up to my number one guy. He goes, makes a play. Everybody's a winner, right? Second play, it's a decent read. He finds Hopkins, and the location is iffy, right? It's behind him. But Hopkins just plucks it out of the sky behind him and then makes the play anyway and scores a touchdown. You're like... So now he can invalidate, you know, iffy ball location. Another win. Uh, and then the third one was New Hopkins, um, a double move. Double move, right. Yeah. So you get number one, just physically goes and gets a ball that he has no business getting. Number two, he can invalidate iffy throw location. And then number three, he's still a savvy enough player that he can get open. You just don't really think he can because you're not paying that much attention. You're only focusing on the number one of this, the the physical stuff. But he then hits a double move. It's a wide the hell open play. 
Levis can go get him. He's open yard for a touchdown. Yeah. So three touchdowns, three different plays, and all three of them were how he can help a young quarterback look way better than he has any business looking if that was, you know, insert random-ass crappy receiver there instead. Uh, so a huge portion of this game, for Levis's point of view, was DeAndre Hopkins making him look good. But then the fourth touchdown. Beautiful. Great play. Um, just this incredible touch throw to kind of loft it into a space that uh, Nick Westbrook-Hina can just run under and go get himself a touchdown. Um, so that was a fantastic play by Will Levis. He had other plays as well, like Chigakonkwo drops a stone-cold, wide-open, first-down play-action deal that would have been a big uh, addition to his yardage as well. So I thought Levis looked very good. I also thought he got made look a lot better by DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and like that's that's as impressive a debut as you're going to get. And now, I mean, people that were like, this is classic. One game has happened, so victory laps have to be taken. So the people that were taking victory laps who hated Levis are now getting dunked on by the people that love Levis and are now taking victory laps. It's it's a whole it's a victory lap about face. Yeah, and so let's just uh, <clears throat> people are going to hear what they want to hear too, Sam. So I want to make sure that we're clear on this. We were both impressed by Will Levis's football playing yesterday in his NFL debut. Yes. I was also very impressed by DeAndre Hopkins' football playing, which I think made Will Levis's football stats look a little better than his football playing would indicate. Now, on the other hand, I know there was a drop by Chigakwanko down, Akonkwo down the field, mm -hmm. and that last pass, Levis to Westbrook Aquina, unbelievable, man. That was one of the throws of the week. And I think that's where, uh, in this one game, Will Levis, the big arm that people had talked about throughout college and everything, it, for nothing, if 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 nothing else, like he created a couple big play opportunities that maybe haven't been there for the Titans so far this year. I mean, that's what I saw was Will Levis's willingness to throw the ball down the field and ability to get the ball down the field, um, even on some of the incompletions. So, I, you know, that was that was really good, man. So the people that did like Will Levis, you were one of them around draft yeah. time. I thought I'm not, it's not victory lap time. It's just, okay, these are some of the traits that you saw there in, um, in his ability to throw the ball down the field that was not really a part of Kentucky's offense last year. Right. Was a part of Tennessee's offense in this game, and you saw the results. And it was. I mean, this was, this was a game plan that was quite similar to 2021. Uh, Kentucky's offense. Yes. You know, when they were running with Liam Cohn as offensive coordinator uh, or head coach, which was he? Offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator. Um, yeah. It looked a lot more like that. Did I have Levis two? Was he my second or third quarterback? Probably second. I think it was second, right? Look um, at you. I mean, Bryce Young, Will Levis. No, did you have Levis? No, you probably had him fourth. I think still. I had Levis. No, I didn't. definitely didn't have him fourth. I had, maybe I had no, Stratton you got fourth, so that's not, you know, the best. Yeah, you maybe you were between Levis and Richardson. I think it was Levis, too. Nobody really cares three. about your rankings, though. No, I know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like this looked like the version of Levis that you thought was there. Now it's one game, so who the hell knows. But um, but that was an impressive. It is kind of funny that Levis already has double the number of passing touchdowns of Ryan Tannehill this season. Yeah, it is. Now, the other thing going for him was in Tennessee. He's in oh. Nashville. So you get that bump. You get that Tennessee bump. I also think we need to start flagging when teams are wearing the throwbacks. 
Like yeah. Tennessee in the Oilers uniform was going to be difficult for them to lose. Seattle yeah. we'll get to later in the Seattle throwbacks. I would never pick against those ever. Uh, Miami were in their throwbacks, right? Now they were the Patriots. Eagles, Kelly Green, Sunday Night Football. Kelly Green's never going to lose. I mean, every one of these throwbacks, I need to know because I'm not picking against them. The Patriots are going to lose because all of, you know, they were bad with their throwbacks yeah. back in the day. Yeah, so you just you get to know. Okay. The throwbacks matter. Also, their throwbacks aren't that good. Like, that's the difference. Kelly Green throwback's amazing. Patriot throwback's, eh, whatever. Oh, Pat Patriot? I mean, it might be better than the current, but it's still not good. It's kind of fun. You know what is good? AG1. Really good. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it literally every day here. Sam, you were sick last week. You chugged your AG1. How are you feeling now? I mean, not sick. I was, I was in a stalemate with an illness, you know? We had battled to a, an entrenched position where neither one of us was winning or losing. And I was like, you know what's gonna tip this in my favor? It's a thing of the AG1. So I went in there with the scoop, in with the water, mixed it all up, and now I'm good. So look at that, drink AG1 every single morning or, you know, when you're not feeling great, makes you feel great. And uh, I like to kick it off with caffeine in the morning and it's a great way to start the day because all great athletes, like myself, former Division II preseason All-American, we have one thing in common. We take care of our bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. It's a win-win for all of us here on the PFF NFL Podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Check it out right now. All right, so the Falcons, they fall to 4-4. Four and four. They're still tied atop the NFC South with the New Orleans Saints. Saints move to 4-4 four and four with a 38-27 win over the Indianapolis Colts. And this is why I hate trying to predict football games. For five straight weeks or six straight weeks of trying to predict that the Saints offense is going to break out, they got all the playmakers, Sam. I said the same thing over and over again. I finally said I quit. I'm out. I'm out on the Saints. And then they do it. They break out. And Rashid Shaheed does his thing again. And uh, Alvin Kamara is making plays again like it's 2018. And uh, the Saints offense looking a lot better in this game against the Colts. Mm. Kamara was spectacular. Rashid Shaheed was spectacular. Um, yeah, he was really good. Like, they tried to take a catch away from him. And then they eventually were like, no, let's keep, that was, keep that, that was way. one of the plays of the game we got to talk about. So the... The Saints throw for 354 total. 444 of those came from Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. They're up a score, and Taysom Hill just chucks it into double coverage. Mm. Um, now, his receiver is Rashid Shaheed. Yes. Who's, you know, five to ten plays a week, the best receiver in the NFL. So you'd think he might come down with it. Um, it looked at first like it was going to be an interception, but Shaheed had his hands on it. So it was this contested possession where Shaheed got the 44-yard reception there and it went from hey the Saints may have turned it over in a one score game late and instead became no the Saints are setting up what eventually became a a touchdown to go up two scores 
Um, but yeah, Shahid was unbelievable. And for the second game this year, once when Shahid got the one-on-one, Derek Carr threw it up to him for another bomb, where he just he whooped poor Tony Brown. Tony Brown starting outside for the Colts, who got had a rough one. But it was like the game's on the line. This is this is what's tough to figure out about Derek Carr. There are games like this where he goes, hey, when I see this one-on-one and I know this guy can't run with Rashid Shaheed, I'm going to give him a chance to make a play. That's how they won a game earlier in the year, I think, against Tennessee. That's how they did it in this game against the Colts. Shaheed whoops Tony Brown right off the line. Carr hits him, seals the deal for the Saints. So they have that level of playmaker. Michael Thomas with a couple of big plays in there. I know he was dealing with illness this week. When the Saints are firing, this offense can be really, really good, and they were in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we talked about how Derek Carr gets in this weird zone where he's just sort of uh, – somebody described it as, you know, the way sometimes when you, you create, like, AI version of something, and it's just not quite right. Like, the sort of general components are right, <laughs> but it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Yes. Like, that's how he plays quarterback. But in this game – what he was doing actually connected with what he was reading and the defense. And it was sort of a product of actually playing quarterback as opposed to just these are the things that you're supposed to do as a quarterback. So the first big play to Rashid Shahid was a perfect example of that. It wasn't just like an aimless heave deep down the field because now it's time to throw a deep ball. It was a good read, right? It was a quarters beater. Um, split two defense deep defensive backs like the the two corners right the the guy that's covering him and the guy from the backside trying to fill the the gap the safety leads card reads it hits his guy perfectly in stride like great play um so you got the good version of Derek Carr where he does actually read the defense uh, allow that to take him where he's supposed to go with the football as opposed to sort of predetermines where he wants to go And when that happens, he can be a really high-level quarterback. We know that. We've seen that throughout his NFL career. And they've got the receivers to make it happen. Like Chris Olave, reasonably quiet, but like a decent game. And then Shahid making all those plays and Kamara making insane plays after the catch. The Kamara plays felt like, you know, in 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 previous weeks, we had talked about how he was coming into the game 21st in the NFL in catches despite missing three games, but only about five and a half yards a catch. In previous weeks, it felt like they were just like quick check downs and, you know, some schemed up plays. But in this game, it felt like mismatch plays, right? It was just, I'm better than the linebackers and it's a mismatch. And so it just, it fit the flow of the offense for the Saints when Carr hit him on that little angle route that turned into a touchdown. That's not necessarily, hey, I, you know, I'm going to look downfield because I'm supposed to, but I'm checking down too early and Kamara doesn't really have much room to do anything. This was like, hey, this is a mismatch. We're going to exploit it. That's good offense by the Saints, which is we're looking downfield. We're trying to. We're going to give our receivers chances to make plays when it's open. We're going to hit them. We're going to exploit those mismatches, and then we're going to mi- exploit mismatches when we have them underneath with Kamara. That is the good flow by the Saints offense, which we certainly didn't see the previous week on the Thursday night game against Jacksonville. Now, that could be a big part of the reason, right? We talked earlier about Jacksonville's defense makes life really difficult for offenses in the past game. Colts struggle. You know, they're young on the outside at corner. And the Colts have found themselves, strangely, in uh, shootouts lately. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's this should not be their game. You know, they hung tough. They were up 17-7 to in this one. DeForest Buckner had a strip sack early on. They had a nice 
fourth and one to get Michael Pittman in the flat to go for it, you know, to, to get on the board early. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think the Colts and Gardner Minshew should really be trying to hang in shootouts every single week. Not ideally, no. Um, particularly not. I mean, Minshew got banged up early in this game. It was like third and one down at the goal line, and he came out. I can't remember what the play was. Like a busted play, and he comes out of it limping. So I don't know how healthy Minshew was for the the majority of this game. But yeah, you don't like. He's this classic quarterback where he's capable of doing some really good things but in an ideal world you don't want him you don't want to turn the thing over to him and have him carry the entire offense um so yeah the saints uh Minshew, he didn't have as many let me go back to that he didn't have as many turnover worthy plays we highlighted that a bunch on the preview show um but still a bad interception late there and then a ridiculous touchdown to ogletree to try to get back within a score late but not enough for the colts you were pointing that out to me at that touchdown that he threw on the run. Mm-hmm. That was insane. Yeah, that it actually got through. Mm-hmm. Um, from a Saints perspective, here they're sitting here at four and four. With um, I thought, oh, I just lost their schedule. Just lost it. The NFL Jesus site. Remember GSIS. Mm. Once you click out of there, you're in trouble. You don't want to use uh, PFF.com. Um, the Jesus site has uh i yeah i use pff.com absolutely for everything um but a couple disappointing losses by the saints texans you know wrecked by the bucks losing to the packers after being up 17 to nothing is going to look pretty bad in hindsight for the saints but they're still positioned because everybody in the nfc south is positioned to make a move because the schedule's not great coming up now the saints have the bears a suddenly kirk cousins less vikings team yeah and then they got the Falcons, the team that they're battling in, you know, for first place in Atlanta in a few weeks. Saints were, looked like the favorite in this division. They have the Giants on the schedule still. Panthers again. Bucks again. Falcons twice. Rams. I mean, they. I mean, Saints should be able to go on a run here if they can play more consistent, especially the way this offense played in this game. With the Vikings presumably dropping out of playoff contention from this point on, that, you know, you should start to prepare yourself for the idea that two of these teams are going to make the postseason from this division. Like somebody's going to win the division, obviously, but the second or the last wild card spot is probably coming out of this division. I mean, the Rams are still in the mix too. Maybe. Just saying, a lot of teams. I mean, it's like the Rams. Hashtag in the mix. Right, the Rams are a possibility. Who knows what the Vikings will do at quarterback? Maybe they can stay in in the mix in Washington, maybe. But like, other than that, yeah, it's ugly. All right, let's wrap up the one o'clock games: Dallas Cowboys forty-three, Los Angeles Rams twenty. Um, it was tight early on, and then the Cowboys started to run away with it. Pick six. I mean, it was seven to seven at one point. <laughs> yeah, at one point it, oh, no, was, it was quite tight. Sorry, it was started the game. It was seven to th- it was seven to three at one point. Yeah, the, the game started zero zero, and then quite quickly it became not close. Yeah, it wasn't close by the end of the first. Matthew Stafford uh, pick six to Deron Bland. I, the throw was so far off on that it looked like a miscommunication. Uh, Cooper Cup runs an out. Stafford leaves it way behind Bland with an easy pick six. Dudes continues to make plays, and then it was, it was this was like your classic. Dallas Cowboys beatdown, right? You got a blocked punt for a safety. Um, and then on top of that, Dak Prescott playing outstanding. I mean, he just wasn't missing a ton of throws. 
his first touchdown, beautiful seam route to Jake Ferguson, and then um, C.D. Lamb just took over. Lamb was unstoppable in this game. And you have those games, right? 12 catches for 158, two scores. Uh, Brandon Cooks finds the end zone late to, you know, to get up to 43. But when Dak and C.D. Lamb are cooking and you, you have – I mean, Dak had made one of those passes to Ferguson earlier in the year, and I think he dropped it or maybe the, uh, one of the other tight ends dropped it. When those guys are catching passes, I mean, this is when Dallas's offense looks really good. It was, a, it was a pretty clean game all the way across for the Cowboys. Yeah, that was a great catch by Jake Ferguson. It was a, it was a nice pass, um, but the catch was spectacular. The, the only thing that was really working well for the Rams early is Aaron Donald in the first quarter was causing all kinds of problems. He had three pressures in the game, and all three of them came in the first quarter. Like, early in the game, Donald looked like he was going to be a problem and potentially uh, a game-changer for the Rams. And then or, and then Dallas managed to get that under control and stop that being a problem. Uh, the, the touchdown of Jake Ferguson was really nice. The pick six was obviously – I agree, it was a weird play. Like, I wrote it down. Was that a miscommunication at the time? There's no evidence that it was, but it was such a bad throw that he almost assumed it has to be. Even, even if Cup runs a little – it's like a hitch or an out. Even if he runs a little hitch, Bland is probably. That's the thing. It doesn't it. make any sense yeah. for it to be a miscommunication because it was never good. Even if, yeah. Even if you're expect, even if he runs a different route, it wasn't good. It's just it was so far off that you generally don't see a pass from a guy as good as Stafford that bad without some kind of explanation for it. But anyway, that was a big turning point, and then like that sequence that really completely put the game out of control was. Uh, Michael Parsons gets a really big sack on third down, right? And then they block the punt for a safety and then immediately, like, return the free kick most of the way to set them up. And then touchdown, now it's 26-3, and you're like, okay, this is gone. I, I don't know how. How do the Cowboys have these games where they get, like, does Stats and Info have this? One of those, here's the only game in NFL history where the team had a blocked punt and a pick six and a... 50-yard return, like, it feels like they always come in bunches for the Cowboys. Last year, was it Sunday night football against the Colts? They dropped 33 in, like, a quarter. I mean, just how do they have these games where it is just three-phase domination? And it's usually against bad teams, Mm. right? It's usually against bad teams. But it is three-phase. It is Micah Parsons being unblockable. It is defense causing turnovers and finding the end zone and special teams and Dak is looking good. Like the whole thing always seems to come together. That's what Dallas needs to bottle up for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's a consequence of kind of, you know, almost deliberately targeting um, sort of volatile, high leverage playmakers on all sides of the ball. Like they have a good special teams unit, so that's going to help. But returns are by definition – you know, you don't get them very often. They, they're big plays here and there with a guy like County Turpin, and then they just don't happen because you don't get that opportunity. Uh, the defense, like Michael Parsons is amazing, but guys like Deron Bland and, and Trayvon Diggs when he's out there, these are uh, boomer bust type of players. And so when it hits, it looks great. And then they, even the offense is kind of like that. Like it can cook every now and again, but doesn't always. So it's, it's like a unit. It's like a roster that's set up to – be kind of boom or bust and you get either games like this where in like a few minute turn they, they're able to put up like 21 points and blow the game out of the water 
Or you get games like the 49ers where, like, just nothing functions and we look terrible. Um, it was another, also one of those games. So Matthew Stafford was banged up throughout the game. Mm. I mean, he's at the point of his career. He's dealt with so many, I don't want to say minor injuries, because he had that whole back injury with Detroit that just randomly ended his season. Didn't feel bad until they said, your season's over. Um, last year, got banged up. I mean, he's at the point where he's dealt with so many injuries. Hand was already hurting. Hits his thumb. Because he's just he's just taking so many hits, man. And he's he's tough and trying to make those throws in a tight pocket so his thumb is wrecked I mean I was wincing watching his thumb hit um, the helmet on the throw mm. and then on top of that it didn't matter in the game but they ran the the Rams ran a Philly special to throw the ball to Stafford on a two-point conversion yeah after he's got a busted thumb and he had to make a diving catch and then reach forward you know, to get within three scores on the... It's like, I don't know. It's just so funny to me. The only, and also sad at the same time. Like, it's a great two-point call that you had on your call sheet. But at some point... Like, listen, really quick. For every coach that says, I can't go for it on a fourth down. Hey, the numbers don't know when my left guard's getting whooped. They don't know. They don't know it. They can't figure it out. Yet, you, the coach, don't know that your franchise quarterback in a three-score game has a busted thumb, maybe you should cross the Philly special off for the two-point conversion, save it for a couple weeks from now. That You don't know that? You should probably know that. I just got fired up. Sorry. I mean, maybe he was just going with the analytics. The analytics said Philly special. Man. Oh, so I don't know. Yeah, the, the analytics didn't know that Stafford right. had a busted thumb. Analytics so, didn't so, know that. Analytics did it. All analytics right, fault. Uh, so, that yeah, that's the second explanation that I hadn't considered. Now, remember, like as you said, He's hurt to the point where Brett Rippon comes into this game, right? right. He, he leaves the game because his thumb is wrecked. On top of every time Matthew Stafford plays football, I don't know if he's got multiple busted ribs and back <laughs> injuries. That's on top of the hand because he's always just grimacing and in pain. So there are now two possible explanations for that play call, uh, the first of which I hadn't considered until you brought it up there. Number one, McVeigh is simply a slave to the analytics, and the analytics can't tell you. They didn't know that Stafford had a busted thumb, so they said, call Philly special, it'll work. And it did, right? Uh, number two, Sean McVeigh had a, a baby like a week ago. Ah. The man might simply be sleep-deprived and is therefore calling Philly special for his quarterback with a busted hand. What does sleep de deprivation look like for the coach who already gets to the office at three? Yeah. I don't know, but it can't be good. There's no way McVeigh's losing more sleep because the times <laughs> when the baby keeps waking up in the middle of the night, the dude's already at the office anyway. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, he's got to sleep at some point. And if the yeah. baby isn't sleeping at that time, he's not sleeping either anymore. So, yeah, it's all added up now. McVeigh did say the lack of sleep is real. Yeah. I mean, he's probably already working off four and a half hours, so he's down to like two. Right. So you there, know. you just didn't, you know. You go brain. with the Kramer sleeping strategy, every, you know, every 20 minutes. Yeah. Every, every, so, you, you sleep 20 minutes every hour. Right. Just mix in some naps. So the brain is clouded, and he, he's, yeah. he forgot, you know? Yeah, I know I just saw the guy wreck his thumb, it's but just, this is the play right it's here. It's hilarious to me. And McVeigh has made that point. Like, you don't know. You don't know what my left guard's doing in that game. Yeah. That is a pretty big black eye for the, uh, hey, look, the, the numbers are not on top of things during a game, right? We're able to take into account all these little weird things that you're not thinking about. Well, that was a pretty big one, <laughs> and you still dialed up the play. Anyway, I'm not trying to pick on Sean. It's just a funny – I noticed it. It's a funny thing. Uh, dominant win by Dallas. They have the Philly uh, – the Phillies, oh, my gosh. 
the Eagles next week. Yeah, how did that the come Phillies. out? They're not playing. The Phillies got eliminated. Yeah, that's why they're not playing. That's why they're not yeah. playing. Yeah, that's it. Dallas five and two. Rams fall to three and five. All right, to so the four o'clock game, Sam. Baltimore Ravens thirty-one, Arizona Cardinals twenty-four. Cardinals cover. Not a bad week for the picks here. They did cover because of the Cardinals' backdoor covering, like they do. Um, another game that was, you know, pretty close for a while, and then the uh, the better team pulled away, the Ravens. But they got up, they got up twenty-four-seven, and then thirty-one to fifteen, and then you know, Cardinals kept clawing back and scoring points. Just what they do to cover. Yeah, strange game where. Both quarterbacks, I think, decided to ignore what they'd been doing previously. Like Lamar Jackson had been playing like MVP, as good as any quarterback in the NFL, absolutely cooking. He didn't have a good game in this one. Uh, and then Josh Dobbs had been playing pretty good. Uh, and crucially, hadn't really been making too many like really bad decisions. And then in this game, made multiple awful, awful decisions. Like ridiculous turnovers. I mean... First interception at seven, like seven seven, like tie game, one score each. He just overshoots Michael Wilson by a mile and throws it right to the the like deep corner who was nowhere near the play. Should have been an easy completion. Ends up being just a terrible turnover. Uh, has a bad fumble on a strip sack from Michael Pierce. Like giant nose tackle coming up the middle. It's like uh, our guy Ross Tucker was talking Pierce up the entire game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that backed them up a mile, took them out of field goal range in addition to the tur- the fumble. Um, and then the the other interception is like a ridiculous toss in a double coverage where both DBs were in a better position to catch that than the whoever the hell he was targeting with it in the first place. The underneath guy ends up catching it. All that did was stop the second guy from catching it. Just a terrible decision that he hasn't been making generally this season. So, yeah, strange game where both quarterbacks were way off where their baseline has been this year. Another strange one was uh, Odell Beckham finishing with zero catches on four official targets, but there were really seven targets, three of them, because three of them ended up with in uh, penalties, defensive pass interference. Mm. So uh, Odell Beckham targets and i'm not saying he earned all of these necessarily ended up in gains of 26 40 and 22 on pass interference penalties and of course we like to make this a story he was visibly frustrated after the game yeah or during the game which you know <laughs> players tend to do when they don't you know make the catches or do the thing that they're that they're paid to do it doesn't mean he had a bad game or anything he was drawing some of these penalties but uh, Odell Beckham look, looking a little frustrated with no catches on the official stat line. He also took like a flying hip check at one point. Yeah, he looked – yeah, he was hurting. For he was point. out what they call – they call it like a – it was like an abdominal contusion or something. Oh. It was a contusion to something that wasn't you know, a normal place you get a contusion. I thought you were going to say hip pointer. No. No, because it wasn't course. his hip. It was Buda Baker's hip oh, launching right. itself yeah. at uh, Odell Beckham. It was a weird play where – it was like an overthrown play down the side, a pass down the sideline intended for OBJ. Uh, Baker's coming across in the safety position and like cleans him out. And initially you're thinking, well, that's, you know, hit on a defenseless receiver, et cetera. But Baker was like going for the ball. So the ball sort of flying past both of them. Baker goes up to try and intercept the pass or at least break it up and then realizes like in the air, uh oh, it's going beyond me. I can't catch it anymore. 
but then also, uh-oh, I'm airborne and have zero control of where I'm landing at this point. So just sort of tries to turn, you know, either brace for contact himself or like minimize what he's about to hit. And it turns out what he's about to hit is Odell Beckham coming down the sideline in a forlorn attempt to go chase the ball and just like literally flying hip checks him uh, and cleans him out. And that knocks him out of the game for a while. He comes back later and still doesn't do anything. Yeah, so just something to keep an eye on there. I mean, the, the Ravens still have all these pieces. You know, last week they they hit, man. Last week was against the Lions where everything was working great. And it, it was like, all right, this was what – the Ravens' offense is capable. Lamar Jackson was wheeling and dealing and doing it within structure, outside of structure. As you said earlier, it just wasn't there this game. Really nice touchdown. I mean, uh, sidearm flashpoints or whatever you want to call it for the Mark Andrews touchdown. That was pretty sweet. Um, but, like, when Lamar did try to scramble around a couple times, he got bottled up for a sack. I mean, there was just some of those big plays that weren't there from, from last week. From an Arizona perspective, here's what's happening now. They're now one and seven and in line for the number one overall pick, what people thought was going to happen mm-hmm. earlier in the year. So just because they cover and they're feisty doesn't mean they're winning games. They're one and seven and in line for the number one overall pick at the moment over the Carolina Panthers, a.k.a. the Bears. <laughs> but also Kyler Murray is cleared to play football. Yeah. So he's been cleared. He obviously didn't play in this game. He's only had five practices this year and in this new offense. I think we're probably going to see Kyler Murray next week, but it comes back to another fascinating decision here for the Cardinals. With the number one pick on the line, they also get to kind of evaluate Kyler Murray in their new system, and you know maybe they say, hey, he's going to be our guy, plus we'd love to add a Marvin Harrison Jr. or whatever it might be. So looks like Kyler might be back as soon as next week. Yeah, I mean, the, they need to figure out what Kyler Murray is in this offense, in this team, because... The people running the show now are not the people that committed to Kyler Murray twice. Uh, so they, they're in a strange spot where normally you would be like, well, we don't let's keep him on the bench as long as possible because we want that number one overall pick and we want our choice of Caleb Williams or Drake May or whatever. But first of all, they need to figure out if they even want one of those quarterbacks or if they're happy with the guy they have because the people making that call now are not the people that were there before, and you probably don't want to make that decision based off, like, old evidence, right? Pre-injury Kyler Murray running a different offense is probably not giving you the best indication of whether that's true or not. All right, man. Uh, as, the, uh, as we said, Ravens, first place, they're 6-2 and two in the AFC North. Finally, a big Trey McBride game, oh, which yeah. I've been waiting for for kind of a while. Uh, 14 targets, which was almost double anybody else in the team. 10 catches, 95 yards, a touchdown, a full-on rugby mall touchdown. They get him down to, like, the two-yard line. He's fighting, struggling, and then it literally, like, stalls out. And then just a whole bunch of people get added to the pile and push it, like, two yards over for a touchdown. Could not believe the officials didn't blow it up for stopping forward progress. Like, that would have been the ref in rugby would have given them a warning that the mall's been stopped, right? That's once. Use it. Who else got really mad about forward progress being called? Somebody was moving backwards by about two yards, but not for that long, and then he broke free. This one it wasn't like – This one it was the duration, like the length of time that was stopped for was amazing that they didn't blow it up for for forward progress being stopped. Like I said, if the the mall had been stopped for that length of time in rugby, 
they would the ref would be giving a warning that like now you got to use the ball and yet they pile in and push him over the line for a touchdown all right, let's go to Seattle. Seattle Seahawks in their 90s uniforms. 24-20 yes. to 20 win over the Cleveland Browns. Another wild game, man. Back and forth. It looked like the Browns had this game in hand. But a late P.J. Walker interception with about two minutes left in the game put Seattle in position to at least tie it, right? It was 2017 at the time. Interception with about two minutes left. Right coming, coming right out of the two-minute warning. Seattle's already in field goal range. But it's uh, Geno Smith into the flat to Jackson Smith and Jigba, the rookie, for a nine-yard touchdown with 44 seconds left. Seattle goes up 24-20. to That ends up becoming the game winner. And Seattle moves to 5-2 and two at the same time. The game we'll talk about in a minute here. 49ers lose their third straight. So Seattle now sitting atop the NFC West. Mm-hmm. Love those throwback jerseys. Yeah, they're nice. They're so nice. Very nice. Even like the, the sideline apparel is pretty sweet as well. Pete Carroll with the hoodie. Hoodie's nice too. I need to be a Seahawks fan so I can get one of those. Those are awesome. Can we get homage back on here as a uh, as a sponsor? Yeah. And we'll just throw I, we should just buy all the throwback stuff. I love just wear throwbacks I would buy, all the time. I would buy that those Seattle throwback gear. Like that's those are so nice. Um Yeah, so the other element to this was you sort of sketch the end. I'm going to start from the back rather than the front. But at one point, right towards the end, the Browns are up. They have an 83% win probability, according to whichever model they were using on the TV. Uh, they need um, they need three yards, essentially, before the two-minute warning in the game's basically over. And they pass for it. Ball ends up getting batted, then picked off. And it's batted by a blitzing Jamal Adams, it hits him in the head, effectively. PJ just beans it off Jamal Adams' head, bounces up and gets picked off. That gives the Seahawks that drive to then take the lead and put the Browns in a hole that they couldn't climb out of. But that play, 83% win probability, switches all the way to Seattle win this game. Browns never get a shot, really, to, to pull it back. Yeah. Sorry, wasn't it was two oh four left, third and three. Yeah. So they got they need three yards before the two minute warning. They get the three yards. On the forty on their own forty one. Mm-hmm. And it gets tipped up and intercepted. Yeah. Man. Tipped up to like the other side of the field. Yeah, I mean he fired a bullet right into Jamal Adams' head. Yeah. And it flies right up. It is um one of the hardest things that we grade is not the batted pass, but like this has come up a lot of times the last few weeks, when the quarterback knowingly throws it into the un- unblocked rusher. So like Brock Purdy's intercep- interception yesterday, which was a great pick and maybe not that bad of a throw, but this one where it's like, I'm, I have to throw the ball behind this unblocked rusher. Like that's where you oftentimes have to throw the ball, but you throw the ball right off of him. Or, yeah. you know, or you're trying to throw it through him and the guy tips it up and who knows. The difference between the ball falling incomplete and being picked is very much lucky. In this, in this case, obviously, a huge play for Seattle. I was wrong. It didn't put him in field goal range, but it, you know, Julian Love catches it right around the 40-45. Yeah, I mean, it set them up for, for a chance to go and put a score on the board and win the game. But as I say, like before that play, Cleveland were 83% chance to win the game. All they needed was three yards, effectively. Yeah. And instead of not only did they not get the three yards, which would have been bad, but it was a turnover based off a ball getting bounced up. And the, it's just a wild play to swing the outcome. 
the Browns just keep playing these wild back-and-forth games. I mean, uh, Geno Smith with an awesome touchdown early on, scrambling out to Tyler Lockett. Also had an um, interception by Martin Emerson where Emerson did a great uh, – Geno was up and down in this game. Throws the pick to Martin Emerson, which was a great play by Emerson. But it was, was an interesting play. There were some passes to oh, – we can talk about that in a second, sorry. A couple passes to DK Metcalf that Geno Smith just completely missed as well. Yeah. Talk Emerson interception, though. So, I mean, it was a really nice play by Emerson. Um, Pete Carroll was livid because he wanted a what penalty. Did he, want on that play? he wanted a penalty for them. I can't remember if it was jumping offside or simply lining up offside, but like he wanted it to be a free play, essentially. Now, you know, every time there's a flag on a play and it's a turnover, fans are like, I oh, knew he had a free play. You know, Gino was just taking a shot because he knew it was a free play. Gino has come out and said he did not think he had a free play. It was just Why a bad. Would? I mean, there was no reason to think. I'm watching. The, I'm, actually, this is not the play. I'm, I'm going to find the play. Anyway, he's come out and said he did not think he had a free play. It was just, it was bad. Um, I was trying to figure out what Carroll was screaming about because clearly a lot of time when there's an interception, usually it's like, oh, pass interference or something. Emerson was just, it was just an awesome play and off yeah. coverage where he jumped it. He right. didn't touch Metcalf. No. Um, does he think, oh, yeah, Garrett's like, yeah. Garrett might be lined up offsides. Right. That's what Carroll wanted. Yeah, I got um, you. But when somebody lines up offside, I mean, if people are, who was defending? You're talking some of the 12s? I just, there were people out there that were like, oh, he thought he had a free play. No. Clearly. The only time a quarterback thinks he has a free play is when a player jumps offsides. Yes. You're never going to know if a guy lined up offsides because you're not checking their alignment and you don't have the angle. Right. So you're not going to know you have a free play if he lines up offsides. It's also not smart to treat it like a free play until you actually kind of feel the flag come out. The only time, honestly... right off the snap. The only time they think they have a free play, honestly, is when they do a hard count. Yeah. It causes a guy You're to jump. You're anticipating it. Right. It causes a guy to jump, and you snap the ball, and then you just assume you probably got him. Even if, like, he, you know what I mean? Like, even if maybe he actually snuck back, and you right. don't. But that, I think, is the only time quarterbacks are treating it like the assumption is here, this is a free play. Um, so, yeah, it was a back-and-forth game. Seattle was up 17-7, to but then the Browns come back, score a touchdown to make it 17-14. They tie it up at 17. It's a couple field goals. They end up taking the lead in the third quarter. There's no scoring in the fourth quarter. Um, every time Seattle's trying to make a comeback, you have, you know, Maurice Hurst making an incredible interception. Defensive tackle, Maurice Hurst. Defensive tackle. Making a crazy not interception. Not his dad, who was a corner. And not, not an interception of, um, like, you know, defensive linemen, when they get interception, it tends to be at the line of scrimmage on, like, a tip pass, right? No, he no, dropped no. into coverage and <laughs> yes. broke in front of the ball and picked it off. Outstanding play by, by Maurice Hurst. And then, um, you know, to me, this was just kind of classic Seahawks. I don't think Geno Smith over the last few weeks has not played the cleanest games from start to finish. But I am always so impressed by how he bounces back. Um, and, again, it might just be because – I. In the back of my head, I'm just like, oh, he's the guy that was a backup for eight years. And maybe he's mm. – you always wonder if he's just still – But also he's Is good. he that good? But he is – when he, he'll make some bad plays in games. He'll put the ball in harm's way. But he is nails at coming back from those things. And his and good, good plays job. are insane. Yes. Like the, the beautiful passes he has are crazy good. Um, the Browns early in the game in particular were killing Seattle with screens. 
David Njoku had a really nice one where it looked like it might have been dead at the line of scrimmage. He sort of squeezes through a gap and then has a big run after the catch uh, opportunity. There was another play that was bizarre where I think they screwed David Njoku out of a turnover. Like he, That play was really weird, yeah. It would have been – it was one of those wild plays. We talked about this. Was it last week or the week before where like three different things could potentially – it was the Drake London thing, right, the weird – catch where Drake London's trying to score and is sort of flipping upside down reaching out for the yeah. end zone like you based off how you determine the th- the ball landing you can essentially call it three different things it could be a touchdown it could be a turnover or it could be down at the the three inch line uh this was similar where your options were um like incomplete pass turnover or actually turnover and turnover and it's your ball again from there and I think the correct answer was actually the one that they definitely didn't go for which was like ball to the DB and then Njoku diving somehow knocks the ball out without touching the defender and recovers it himself and it would have been their ball plus whatever 20 yards. They just gave him the completion right? The I'm sorry the interception. Yes. Yeah that was nuts. But I think the correct call was actually that was an intercepted pass, which then Njoku diving knocked out and then recovered himself. Right. Because if he touches the player, it's interception down, right. play dead, right? But if he touches just the ball and knocks it out, he's forced to fumble without ending the play. And then he recovered the fumble, so it would be his happened. ball. That's right. what I think happened. The, but they're but they were trying to but they're trying but to I say think it wasn't look, a forced fumble that he actually made contact somewhere along the way. Right. Well, the, yeah. So that what they're saying is if he touches a player and it just, you can't it's the, it's the play's dead there and it can't force an incompletion because it's already yeah you know so this is tough to follow with just like he did this he did that but like yeah and Joku knocking the getting the taking the ball from Reek Woolen <laughs> should have been. A fumble recovery? Yeah. Yes. Should have been yeah. a fumble that he forced and recovered himself. After the interception. Yes. Yeah. Which was the original call. Right. But the other alternative is they can be like the other option on the table, like the Drake London thing, is what they could have said is he forced an incompletion, which would have been even more insane. But anyway. But that I would think, have been very NFL that there's no right. such thing as possession the whole way through. But I think like that um, Drake London review that they did they basically went this is too crazy an outcome for us to actually (laughs) call we we're not doing that i genuinely think they looked at that and went this is too nuts you cannot say that he he forced a fumble on this play and recovered himself because it's just it's too it's too crazy but i genuinely think that's what the correct outcome should have been is that instead of having a turnover they should have got the ball back. Yeah. And then Joku got shafted out of one of the plays of the season. Yeah, he did. He really did. Um, look, look cre- credit Seattle, man. They, they were stopped on seven straight third downs at one point. We know the Browns' defense has been really tough this year, but Seattle hung tough. They pull out the win at home. They covered the three and a half. And uh, they went 24 to 20, sitting atop the NFC South at five and two. Never a doubt with the throwbacks. Never a doubt. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals 31. San Francisco 49ers 17. The Niners have now lost three straight since that dominant game against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Bengals move to five and three and certainly looked 
like vintage Joe Burrow and the Bengals even more and more. Coming off the bye, we had seen hints of it in recent weeks. This was kind of full go. Joe Burrow, Bengals offense, they're back. Yeah, Joe Burrow, crazy game from him. This looked, I mean, this was... The, stat line? As, you want the stat line? Go on. 28 of 32 for 283, three touchdowns, no picks. Did get sacked three times, but 28 for 32 passing for Joe Burrow. Right, got sacked three times, but also had like 40-something rushing yards and broke out of a bunch of crazy plays and made you know insane things happen when he should have been dead. There was one of those like Eli Manning type you know, helmet catch plays where it looks like he's absolutely in the grasp and wrapped up and fights out of it. And okay, he doesn't find like a bomb down the field with a helmet catch, but finds like an open receiver uh, to hit. That's as good as Joe Burrow has played, certainly this season and for a while. He looked pretty spectacular, and the rest of that offense looked good as well. Um, and then Brock Purdy had a ton of turnover-worthy plays again. Now, he didn't play that badly. It's not like he played terribly previously where um, you know, nothing was good and he had turnover-worthy plays. This one... He actually played okay, other than the turnover-worthy plays, but there were quite a number of them, again. Yeah, I mean, you know, odd game for the Niners. The Niners did move the ball at various points. I mean, Purdy's going to end up with ends up with over 11 yards per attempt in this one. But, yeah, there was, um, you know, bad pick over the middle of the field, four total turnover-worthy plays, two touchdowns, or two actual interceptions for Purdy, a little chucking and ducking at times there. Um the Niners are just uh, a little out of sync, and the Bengals, it was, it was vintage Bengals, vintage meaning like 2021 and 22, for multiple reasons, Good right? Vintage. It was not, it was Burrow looking like the guy, uh, spreading it around to their various group of playmakers, but also the de- like who were the defensive stars? I, I'm repeating myself, I think, from two weeks ago, the game just before the bye. Um, who were the stars? Mike Hilton, DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson. Uh, Hendrickson had an ankle injury, comes back, remains one of the best pass rushers in the NFL this year. But those are the guys, uh, reader in the run game and also pushing the pocket here, but those are the guys, Mike Hilton as this uh, do-it-all slot corner and Hendrickson as a pass rusher, those were the guys that had been stars for this Bengals defense, and they were the stars in this game slowing down this 49ers offense. Yeah, and the thing is, the 49ers actually had a bunch of plays break their way as well and still didn't matter. Um, just before halftime, Irv Smith fumbles away a, a tight end screen down by the goal line. Um, the Bengals were up 14-10, I think, at that point. So that could have been 21-10 heading into the halftime. Huge swing in San Francisco's direction. Um, like, they made some big plays and still weren't able to, to overcome it, in part because, like, uh, Brock Purdy kept putting the ball in harm's way. Yeah, so that's the big one, right? It's it's seventeen to ten, um, and so go back to last year. Brock Purdy takes over, and they start cooking, scoring a ton of points. And there was a lot of blowouts, and you know it was like, hey, Purdy's looking great. They have Christian McCaffrey, and my question was always, how's Purdy going to handle a little adversity? How's he going to handle making a comeback? And last year, he did. He did it a couple times. It was like, hey, I think it was against the Rams. You know, there's a couple times in comeback situations where he did it. Do you want a stat, though? Yes. Kyle Shanahan is now 0-37 when trailing by eight or more points in the fourth quarter. Oh, I have seen that one, yeah. That's insane. Now, again, I need a baseline. Eight or more. It's kind of, you know, 
That's why. I mean, it can't That's be fair. O. Whatever the baseline is, it's higher than zero. Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy Garoppolo's got a lot of fourth quarter comebacks, but those are, those are within a score. Yeah. You know? Those but are like, within eight. Yeah. Eight is not a lot in fourth quarter. No, I, I mean, it. we've seen enough of those each week to know that that is not a, yeah. an insurmountable task. To be 0-37 for a team as good as the 49ers have been for most of that time yeah. feels insane. Yeah. And I'm just saying, from like a Brock Purdy-specific standpoint, I had a couple questions about his ability last year and into early this year to come back in a must-pass situation. We have Monday Night Football against the Vikings, two fourth-quarter interceptions. And now 17 to 10 on your own 20. And this is just a bad misread, man. Was it Logan Wilson? Yeah. I mean, he just threw it right to him. I mean, great job by Wilson um, passing off the deep route and spacing looks a little off by the, the Niners. But down seven, like go be Joe Montana, Brock. You're supposed go to be, be Joe, Joe Montana. Montana. Go be Joe Montana. Make the comeback. In front of Joe. Joe was in the building. Oh, was he? Yeah. yeah. That's too bad. Um, so, yeah, like Purdy throws it into harm's way. Logan Wilson picks it off. Bengals come back next play. Touchdown. They're up 24 to 10, uh, 24 to 10 at the time. And that was pretty much it. That was what really sealed the deal. So that's, that's what I think the Niners, I'm not saying Purdy can never make a comeback or anything, but that's what the Niners are going to want to avoid. And, you know, getting up early like they have so much over the last couple of years. Dude. When they're not doing that over the last two weeks, it puts a lot more pressure on that pass game. There were some wild plays in this, though, from Purdy. Like, he... So he averaged 11.8 yards per attempt oh, yeah. I mean, in the game, which is a yeah. ludicrous number. 10 I, is extremely high. Joe Burrow just, averaged 8.8, and that's a very high number. Let me just say something really quick. What's wrong with Brock Purdy? But things are, the things are going the other way. Now, four turnover-worthy plays for him. Two of them were after the two-minute warning. Game was over. But like a multiple turnover-worthy play games for Brock Purdy, those have happened. It happened in week one against the Steelers. He fumbled twice, recovered one of them. It happened on Thursday night football against the Giants. Remember his first drive, his first two passes should have been picked, and they weren't. And he came away. He had zero interceptions in the stack column for weeks. And so that's, that's why you look at turnover-worthy plays and not just interceptions. And you don't say, this guy's taking great care of the ball when he's got a ton of turnover-worthy plays. You say, hey, there's a little bit of luck involved here. Don't keep playing like that. And now the last couple of weeks, he's got interceptions because the defense is catching him. That's what's happening. And he's still making good Brock Purdy plays. Yeah. Right? The last two games, what have we seen from Brock, Brock Purdy? The same stuff we've seen for the majority of the season. Anticipation throws, a few plays outside of structure, some wide open stuff within structure, some plays that are thrown to the defense. The difference now, the defense is making the plays. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of times. Oversimplified, but that's, what's ha that's what I'm seeing. So he had some just crazy plays in this game, and then and they went in a the outcome of them was wildly different. So yeah. the whichever interception it was, the one to Jermaine Pratt, like that's a spectacular play by Pratt. It's a weird play by the 49ers and Purdy. I think it was a busted shovel, right? It was one of those inside shovels that the Bengals seemed to have covered, so Purdy didn't even attempt it. Most of the time you see, even when those plays are stuffed, they at least take the shot and they, you know, they fire the shovel and maybe the guy gets tackled immediately or even broken up. For some reason, Purdy pulled this down um, and then like followed the sweep out to the flat and then tried to dump it over the linebacker to the guy that would have been a touchdown if he cleared him, yeah. except there was an illegal man downfield because I don't think the play should have ever got that far in the first place. 
Uh, so the whole that, thing was kind of weird. I would call that, I think, an unlucky interception. That's the thing. So, so that was a strange play where it's a, it's the kind of play that Purdy's been making, and he gets a little bit unlucky, and Pratt makes a spectacular catch. He then had later in the game a full replica of the Brett Favre 2009 NFC Championship interception that ended the game, where he's like, gets out of some chaos in the pocket. He's rolling right into open field and then like lofts a, a duck into the middle of the field way back across his body that's up in the air for like a week. And in Favre's case, it was picked off by Tracy Porter and that's basically the game. Somehow, Purdy actually completes it for a first down and then yeah. did the same thing the next play. You're like, how is that? Where is the defense? Yeah. These are like the picture, like textbook illustration of do not do this that, ever. That's actually encouraging to me because I think what makes Mahomes' ability to do that is his geometric awareness and yeah. everything, right? The geometry. Like I was thinking this watching Mahomes even in one of his not-so-good games yesterday. Like the geometry that Mahomes understands the field and knows when to throw back. The fact that Purdy actually could complete some of those, I'm actually more encouraged. I'm just going to say, sometimes I'm more encouraged by Brock <laughs> Purdy, you know, when there's um, some bad plays in there. Hmm. I mean, like, there was a lot of good stuff in this game for Purdy, too. Just, you know, bad at the wrong time again in the fourth quarter. That yeah. does mean something, you know? Yeah. Um, but credit, credit the Bengals, man. They. They look like the Super Bowl caliber team. Now, this is also the second straight week. The Niners defense got torched. They got torched on Monday Night Football by Cousins and the Vikings. So this bo- this goes both ways. Did they run into Kirk Cousins playing the best ball of his career and Joe Burrow, who is a top three quarterback in the NFL? I know we forget this because he's not there statistically and he's been playing hurt all year. Joe Burrow is a top two to three quarterback in the NFL. So did the Niners run into that or are they showing – massive signs of weakness on their on the back end after looking like they were really really good this year but that's been the last yeah. the last two weeks Niners have been smoked I mean I think they have some signs of weakness but they also like Nick Bosa had nine pressures like a pass rush win rate of almost 25 percent and they resulted in one sack and you know one of those plays he has Joe Burrow in the grasp and yeah Burrow gets out of it and makes something spectacular happen like they had some plays there, and they just weren't able to finish them. And Burrow playing basically as good as he's ever played made them uh, suffer for that. On the other side, Trey Hendrickson continues to have a spectacular season. Uh, he had a ton of pressure, eight pressures, 27% pass rush win rate, pass rushing grade of over 90. Uh, and also, like he got a really unlucky injury where his foot got stepped on as he's trying to rush and it rolls the ankle um so he ends up coming back in the game and and made some big plays after that but just he's having an amazing season and nobody will notice or care because he'll be like sixth or seventh in a list of edge rusher defensive player of the year candidates but in like a random ass crappy year he could be the defensive player of the year the way he's playing no it's absolutely true Hendrickson's balling out so far this season Bengals move to four and three, Niners fall to five and three, and now second place in the NFC West. All right, two more games. They're now a wild card team. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a mighty roar from Eli in the booth. Appreciate it. Um, for the Bengals, not for us. Uh, Broncos 24, Chiefs 9. Upset of the week here. Broncos move to three and five. Chiefs fall to six and two. 
a lot of firsts in this game. Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> first uh, first loss on the road. In the division. In the division. Yeah. Right, I know. Uh, I was going to finish it. First loss on the road. First time Denver had won in 17 tries. Yep. Against 2015. Yeah. Peyton Manning was the quarterback the last time the Broncos had beaten the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, another one, you know, the Broncos, I think I always – I always view this through the lens of the underdog because you just, you know, you expect the Chiefs to win. They're a touchdown favorite. And the Broncos, I think, at the end of the day, I, I don't think this is a um, – it's not like a pattern that you strive for, but it seems like the teams that can keep Mahomes off the field or – and the way to do that, it's like when you run the ball, if you just get three or four yards, three or four yards, three or four yards, that's what Denver did. That's what the Colts did last year. On top of, the Chiefs always seem to have these games where they just want to play horribly in all phases. Yeah. Muffing punts, dropping passes, fumbling passes, yeah. and Mahomes turning it over. Like, the Chiefs did everything wrong. I'm not saying the Broncos don't deserve credit at all, but self-inflicted wounds by the Chiefs. Mahomes' best throw of the day, fourth and two. Sky Moore drops it in the end zone. Drops a touchdown. Mahomes drops a touchdown on fourth and two. Mahomes has a terrible interception and bad fumble. Marcos Valdez-Scantling fumbles, and they also muff a punt. Yeah. So that was the thing. You, the, you kept going through this game. You're like, okay, this is about as bad as it's possible to have been from a Kansas City perspective, and yet Denver's still in sight, you know? And you're thinking at some point Mahomes and the Chiefs will spark to life, and it only takes one touchdown. They're right back in this, and you're still kind of expecting them to pull that comeback and if Sky Moore catches that touchdown, maybe it still happens. That would have brought them to a score, right, within a score. Or at least that was one of the scores that they needed and would have given them a shot. They would have been time. within a score, yeah. Yeah, with time left on the clock. So, But when that's done, turnover, that's the game, basically. Um, but, yeah, like the first half, right, Denver had three turnovers, had two red zone stops, and had had like a special teams field-flipping play go their direction – and we're still only up 14-9. Like, well, the Chiefs defense, man. The Chiefs defense, like the, the score says they gave up 24 points, but in part because of the muff punt. But like the Chiefs defense kept making stops. Right. Russell Wilson took multiple sacks to knock the Broncos out of field goal range. Plus, the Broncos gifted the Chiefs, or the Chiefs defense earned, a three-point attempt just before the half yeah. with a strip sack. So that's my point. You're like you're looking at this and you're saying everything has gone their way and there's still only five points in the lead. Like at yeah. some point, something is going to go Kansas City's way and they'll get back in this. And it just didn't. Like they never, they never stopped making mistakes that put them in a deeper and deeper hole. Where I do want to give the Broncos a ton of credit was their defense, though. Um, it wasn't all just self-inflicted wounds by the Chiefs. Certainly the Sky Moore drop um, changes things a little bit, but this was one of those games that, that appears every now and then where Mahomes gets to the top of his drop and he's just not throwing on time very often. Yeah. And so the Broncos were taking away first reads. I thought they did a really nice job for as, as wide open as Travis Kelsey has felt over the middle of the field the last couple of weeks. The Broncos did a really nice job taking Kelsey away. Was it the Taylor Swift factor? I don't know. Maybe they were doing a lot of there's a lot of analytics on wit without wit and without Taylor Swift <laughs> analytics, right? There's a lot of analytics going on. It's also on worth that. it is worth pointing out that Mahomes apparently had the flu. 
Oh yeah. So I mean, this it's going to sound like we're a Chiefs apologist, but yeah. they turned the ball over 900 times. Mahomes had a flu game, which did not turn out like Jordan's flu game. In by and the he's way, he's got broken bones on his hand. Well, one of the differences, I mean, one thing in that that stood in Jordan's favor, right, with his flu game, is he got to play in the nice warm inside. Ah. Whereas Mahomes is out there in snow. It had been snowing in Denver with his flu. Like at one point they cut to him on the sideline. You know when people just look sick? <laughs> They're like no color, drained, sallow, like bags under their eyes. Mahomes is sitting there on the sideline after like a couple of these mistakes already. I'm like that dude looks like crap right now. Like I don't know how much the flu game affected him. But I do know that this was an uncharacteristically bad game from Mahomes where he made a bunch of mistakes that he typically doesn't make. You should have called me, man. My flu game was night one of the draft this year. Night this year. one of the draft. We could, maybe... I could barely even talk yeah. at noon, but I brought it till two in the morning. Two in the morning, we were going live, we were, we were going nuts. What happened between you not being able to talk and you being, you know, having the game of your life? Got a little steroid injection. There you go. I wonder if that's open to Patrick Mahomes in a world of PED testing and we don't get tested here, right? No. I mean, they gave oh, me I've, some. I was I've like, certainly never been tested. Listen, Doc, I got to be live on the air tonight talking yeah. about the NFL draft. I could barely even stand up. What you got? Right. I'm just saying I don't think that that's something Mahomes can do is, hey, I'm feeling pretty rough today. Can you give me a hit of the roids? I, I don't think that's an option What do you think him. he was doing? Oh, forget it. Anyway. I'm just saying halftime of the Jags game in the playoffs last year when he <laughs> went from can't walk to uh, let's lead a Super Bowl. I think that's painkilling as opposed to oh, steroids. Oh, gotcha. uh, Anyway, my point being – I have no idea how much that affected him. It could have been 0%, 100%, anything in between. But it is, I think, at least worth mentioning that Patrick Mahomes apparently had the flu in crappy weather. Yeah. Coincidentally, the Chiefs offense was bad and made an absolute litany of mistakes, and yes. they lost. Um, just I want to highlight the Broncos' defense, though, because so Jaquan, uh, Jaquan McMillan um, really doing a nice job at slot corner this year for the Broncos. He had the pick. Um, the Broncos did a really nice job taking away first reads. Mm -hmm. And they also, you know, they played him twice in three weeks. Held him to 19 points a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And now holding them to nine. A Broncos defense that gave up 70 to the Dolphins and looked historically bad. And I said, look, they can't be that bad. They're a better team. I at least got that one thing right, that they'd be better over these last few weeks. But they had that strategy where we're going to kind of half, half rush, half spy Mahomes. Um, they have a nice athletic player like a Nick Benito who's really fast and can kind of play that spy role and track Mahomes down and not give him the out-of-structure plays. I mean, again, it's, it, it, maybe it's a prayer, not a strategy, but if you could take away the first read for the Chiefs and then also somehow make Mahomes' pocket movements, you know, just, just slow them down a little bit. Just, just block the rushing lanes. If you can execute those two things, which is a prayer – because you have to be good to do it. You have to block the, you know, stop the first read and also keep him in the pocket. But the Broncos did a really nice job of those two things more often than not. And that was, uh, you know, they executed extremely well to slow down this Chiefs offense. They did, yeah. Um, the three sacks that he took was a season high this season. It's not actually a particularly large outlier number in Mahomes' career. I know he has this not just a reputation, but he doesn't take sacks very often, but he does tend to have them in bunches where there's a bunch of games with three or four sacks yeah. in them. Um, but there was one in particular, the, the Baron Browning strip sack thing before the half, that felt like a play 
normal Mahomes doesn't take. Right. right? Th- that's the type of sack that he doesn't take in a regular game. So whether it was flu, whether it was defense, forced, that was a difference between Mahomes in this game and Mahomes in a normal game that was tipping things in the direction of Denver. And Byron Browning, after pretty much immediately, in fact, after I questioned whether he was pass rushing Travis Fulgham, he's bounced back. He's back, yeah. Yeah. Now he's, now he's great and well. Um, on the other side, weird game for Russell Wilson. Only 19 uh, official attempts, 12 of 19 for 114, including three touchdowns. Beautiful last touchdown, lofted up in the end zone. Um, but he was also sacked six times, like I said, including you know, suboptimal times. Third and long, just kind of waiting it out, waiting it out. Should have been throwing the ball away if possible to save field goal range. And also rushed eight times, uh, Wilson. But yeah, I think the, the grinded out running game, like there was a point where the Chiefs had what three plays in the third quarter, that was the difference. I mean, there was like a eighteen or nineteen minute stretch of game time where the Chiefs barely had the ball. So like all those things add up. Broncos defense playing well, Chiefs mistakes, and uh, Broncos win it, man, twenty four to nine. Um, George Karlaftis had a pretty good game, and he's taken a step forward this year. He really has. He's still not great, but. He is one of those classic high-motor, always-working type of players, and now he's winning just a bit by himself, right? And those More two than just with power. Yeah, important. but like last year, he literally I, – I don't know how many of his plays last season were like clean wins that didn't require, you know, clean-up pressure or pursuit or like anything else. It was just you beating a blocker, getting pressure. But honestly, I feel like it was – you could count them on one hand – I haven't gone through. He had 41 pressures. And I, at this point, I would be surprised if more than five of them were like clean, decisive wins against a blocker. Uh, this season, sorry, he had 56 pressures. Uh, I was looking at somebody else's numbers. But same thing. I would be surprised if more than 10% of those were actual, decisive, uh, solid pass rushes. This year, he's got some of those plays as well. And he still has the hustle, clean up, pursuit type plays. So, like, he's making more of an impact because of that. All right, last thing on this game. Flu game or not, mm-hmm. in eight games this season, the, the Chiefs have scored 20 or fewer points in half of them. Yeah. Four times. 20 in opening night, 17 against the Jags, 19 against the Broncos, and nine against the Broncos. There's been three or four games where the offense has looked like we expect from the Chiefs. They didn't have any lulls last year, right? It's a similar supporting cast. Minus, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. Similar supporting cast. Something to keep an eye on. The Chiefs' offense. The inconsistency at receiver. I don't know if they're going to be a player at the deadline because they have a lot of players. Nobody that's – like, Sky Moore is not super dependable yet, Dude, right? Sky Moore. Rice is, but he even dropped one over the middle yeah. as well. Like, all those things have added up for the Chiefs. Rasheed Rice, I think, is becoming their number one wide receiver. But, you know, is still young. is still working his way into it. Had that drop, which is not ideal. Sky Moore, I cannot believe how bad he is in the NFL. I, I'm honestly amazed. I mean, I tweeted last night. Somebody pulled up a tweet that I had at draft time that was like, you know, Sky Moore, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if Sky Moore wasn't at least a good NFL player. And now he goes to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you know, to steal of a pick, whatever. Someone pulls that up to try and dunk. I just quote tweeted with, I am very surprised. I, I genuinely cannot believe how bad he is right now in the league. Like, I thought at the very minimum he would be a solid, dependable slot receiver that would move the chains and consistently get open. He's not even that. 
Uh, he does. He brings nothing, literally nothing, to this offense, wow. except like he's he's taking up snaps that other people could use better. I I'm honestly I, staggered by how bad he's been. I wonder if the Chiefs do they cross train their receivers too much? Because like the way they were using Sky Moore last year was like, all right, we're up a score or two late. He's getting all of our jet sweeps and screen stuff, hmm. which is not necessarily how I would use Sky Moore. This year, they're turning Rasheed Rice, who I think could be a contested catch monster. He's becoming a high yak guy. Now, he's good at that, too. They've identified that. But I wonder if the Chiefs are cross-training all of their receivers, which helps their offense, right? X lines up at Z, and we move guys around and everything. But I wonder if they're losing out by not playing the guy's strengths maybe too much. I don't know. I just think— Just I, thinking out loud here I as mean, I'm hearing it. It feels like— talk Sunday Night Football, though. It feels like they've just been searching around for something that he can do well and haven't found it yet. That's also possible. And I, it's, I'm just—I'm absolutely amazed by how bad he's been for them. Um, and then on the other side, you've got Cortland Sutton looking much more like the Cortland Sutton from before he got his injury. Like, he goes and mosses a guy down the sideline. Jerry Duty is making contested catches deep down the field. Like, the Broncos receivers actually showed up in this game in a way that they haven't always for them. I mean, if the Broncos weren't so embarrassingly bad on defense earlier in the year, they're sitting here at 3-5, and five, and yeah. they've played a few, a few football games that look like they should. Um, Russell Wilson still has incredible stats this year, but there's still something missing there. There's a chance, though, the Broncos become second-half feisty, though. Second-half feisty. Second-half feisty. All right, let's talk Sunday Night Football. We have negative one minute to finish this thing. Yeah. I got a meeting in 29 minutes. We got to go. Okay. Los Angeles Chargers 30, Chicago Bears 13. Tyson Bagent handed his first loss as a starter in the NFL. Uh, Chargers cover by a lot. (laughs) They move to three and four. Justin Herbert finishes 31 of 40 for 298, three touchdowns. Mm Mm-hmm. Game opens up with a Bajan bomb. Yeah. Chris just started chuckling. Look at this guy. Yeah. D2. They kind of screwed him on that play as well. Mooney. And Mooney was never touched down. Yeah. Why did they? They didn't even blow the whistle until like after everyone had yeah. kind of stopped playing as, anyway. Even Terry's like, we didn't even know where the whistle came from. Because they replayed it. And a whistle did come in, but it was like really late after. Like the whistle came when the player that we don't mention had hold of him. Yeah. Right, not like before that when everybody kind of was like, "Is the play over? What's going on here?" Bizarre play where, at minimum, they got hosed out of quite a lot of yards after the catch, and at worst, they got screwed out of a touchdown. They did, and so they didn't get on the board there. They got stopped. I think it was what sack knocking them out of field goal range on that drive, mm-hmm. and then um, Chargers get on the board with a thirty-nine yard was screen pass to uh, Eckler. Yeah, and. Um, I was, you know, half watching. When I said screen pass, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was a screen. I saw him run through the defense. That's why I see. That play is what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, Chargers got up 17 to nothing. Uh, Bears tried to get back into it 17-7 just before the half. But the Chargers really came back just before the half, scored another touchdown, get up 24-7, and that was the rest is history. Semi-Fahoku. Yeah, Fahoku in there. Mm-hmm. Stealing some Quentin Johnston snaps. Yep. But we did start to see some Quentin Johnson plays. Yeah, he was dynamic after the catch. Five catches, 50 yeah. yards, four first downs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's obviously huge for the Chargers. We always talk about receivers. I mean, all players developing at different rates. Um, Jordan Addison, who I was raving about earlier in the nuances to his game, I don't think Quentin Johnston has that. But Chris was 
pointing out the usual college offense type stuff where you're only lined up on one side and you're you have to learn how to run routes properly and everything. I mean, Quentin Johnston was always going to kind of struggle with some of those things, but if you play to his strengths, can create after the catch, can maybe get behind the defense a few times, kinda, it's going to be important here for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of knew that passively in my brain, but it, it wasn't until Chris said it on the broadcast last night that I was like, oh, yeah, he really did only play like left wide receiver the entire yeah. time. But so did DK Metcalf, right? Yeah. Like like not, guys have overcome this before. Right. I'm not saying guys that's have a also not thing. Over, Like Corey Coleman never right. overcame, you know, not just the sidedness, but the, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that's cri- a, a crippling flaw or anything, but it, it hadn't really registered with me until he pointed it out that, you know, he really did only line up in the one spot the entire time for TCU. And even then, it's not like he ran the most diverse route tree in the world. Um, he probably does have quite a lot to learn relative to some of these other guys. So Chargers move to three and four with this win. I mean, I still, whatever. They should be more competitive. <laughs> Chargers. They're just the Chargers. Uh, the best Joey Bosa game in a while. Yeah. He made an impact. Now, he was working against some not great offensive linemen. That'll help. Um, but that's the, like, Joey Bosa has been pretty anonymous this season, but that was as impactful as he's been. Yeah, they need him. They need him a lot. Um, same thing with the player. Had an interception, making plays. When one, we were wondering about him in the preview show. Mm-hmm. Where the heck is he? Um, the Tyson Bajant talk. It's a lot of talk. Yeah. You know, impressed for a D2 player. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got – I think he's shown he could be a backup. <laughs> I think he's shown like he runs an offense. He, you know, he does all the things you describe of a backup, right? I mean, he also could have a, a future starting, but it's like getting there is a problem. Like – He's making too many mistakes at the moment, which you would expect from, I mean, any rookie, let alone a rookie D2 guy. Uh, But it's like, what is his pathway to work through that to be given the chance to start? It's probably not going to happen, right? I mean, either Fields comes back in the next couple of weeks and he doesn't get the the chance, or simply the Bears are not going to give him the runway to make that happen. Like, what is his, let's say the pathway to him being good is like a Josh Allen two-year development step by step process. Yeah, nobody's going out of their way. To right. Like nobody's going to commit to him for that length of time to see that come to fruition if indeed it ever does happen. So you'll never find out. Like his his only shot of that happening is to stick on the roster as a primary backup for long enough that he gets another shot in, you know, two years time. And he's been able to achieve that from the bench, hopefully, in which case he might have a shot. But I, he has impressed for, you know, given his where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the Bears are going to choose Bajent over Justin Fields. The only decision is what uh, Chris and Tariko broke into in the fourth quarter, which was the debate about do the Bears draft somebody versus choosing Justin Fields. Right. You know, is it Fields plus two elite players? You know, that that debate will will happen at the end of the year for the Bears. They're two and six right now. No longer picking number one overall because the Cardinals have that spot as we said earlier on the show. Where are they? Two and six could also be their draft position. Where are they in the, uh, the draft? Oh, they're two and six record. They're probably two and three. They are. Panthers yes, definitely are, have fact, two. Two and three. Yeah. So it could be, uh, you know. I mean, those are fun balance sheet questions. Justin Fields plus Marvin Harrison and Olu Fashnu. I mean, I think unless Fields improves markedly in the second half of the season, they're taking a quarterback. Drake May, Marvin Harrison. Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison. Could all happen. Uh-huh. 
Oh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Anyone else have anything on this game? I don't. <laughs> we have Monday Night Football tonight, though. Lions and Raiders. Lions Dude, and Raiders. I mean, we should get paid extra for this Week 8 16-game slate. It's a grind, man. It's mm. a grind. Luckily, they're giving us an hour of sleep next week. Next week. Great. Yeah. Next Perfect. Week. For the Germany game. We'll be the ready Germany to game. Yeah, an, well, hour, an hour of sleep to be able to work all day Sunday. That's what you need. Anyway, we appreciate everybody for joining us on an early Monday morning. Enjoy the Monday night football, and you'll be back again. Breaking that all down tomorrow with Brad. Talking trade deadline, Kirk Cousins, all sorts of fun stuff for tomorrow's show. But thanks to everybody for tuning in. I'll be back on Wednesday, potentially. See how it goes. <laughs> See how it goes. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow.